Visit Arcade Club, Europe's largest classic arcade, with over 200 video and pinball machines. There's classic consoles and computers. There is also PS4s, Xbox Ones, Wii U, PC, and Oculus Rift, and regular tournaments and competitions. All machines are set to free play. Open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Check out arcadeclub.co.uk for more details. Tenpence Arcade are proud members of the Throwback Network and the Retro Junkies Network. Welcome to the one you've all been waiting for, or you've forgotten about. It's the 10 pence arcade, top 50 arcade games of all time, as voted for by you, the lovely, lovely listener. Lovely listener, we love them. We've broken down the games into nine categories, like shoot-em-ups, maze games, drivers, etc., with a mention for each game that got the most votes at the end of each category. And the game with the most votes overall will be talked about at length at the end of the show so you've got to wait till the end of the show to find out the number one arcade game of all time as voted for by lovely listeners but what if i don't like that game and i don't want to talk about it we can change it okay that's easy enough isn't it yeah so we're not going to talk we're not going to explain all the games to everyone because these games are the top games everyone should know how to play them already yeah we might give you a few interesting facts on them and we've got other people talking about them as well so listen in here we go and the first one we're going to talk about is Brawlers. Arr, I'll punch Arr. you right in the knee, you, you turd. Oh, me neck. Oh, me neck. So this is uh, categorised as a game predominantly featuring fisticuffs, melee weapons, and enemies with a health bar. Yes. It's a health bar like one of them nutty things you eat. Yeah. It's like an apricot and, and chia seed health bar. I steer clear of them and have Mars bars instead. Or a pie. Yeah. Mm, or a Mars pies. bar in a pie. That's it. Don't put that out, Vic, I'm going to copyright that. Without looking at these and without remembering you wrote them in there, mm. which one do you think was not one of the ones from the Top Fighters games? Final Fight. Excellent. How did you work that one out? Because it's on the list. This is our first one. Final Fight. Right, we're, we're going to say the listener comments and then we're going to have a little comment on it ourselves. So Benson Rad has put about Final Fight. To me, this is the best side-scrolling fighter. Good bass-thumping sounds. Whilst I grew up and loved Double Dragon, this, to me, beat the pants off it. Double Dragon without any pants. Oops. Ooh. So, I had this game on a SNES back in the day, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it worked better in the arcade as well, but I think it works better as a console game. Mm. Because it's one of those things where you've got to keep feeding money in, especially to sit on your couch and just have a go, and at your leisure without putting all this money in. Because you probably end up paying four quid to do this if you're as good as I am. <laughs> I like the different characters, uh, and it spawned other great fight-and-go-right games, and obviously inspired Streets of Rage, which is mm. uh, on the Mega Drive, which is the best fight-and-go-right game. That is official from me. Is, is it? Yeah. Mm. Well, number two. Streets of Rage number two is easily the best fight-and-go-right. I think a lot of people would agree with me there. Uh, I was given a Supreme 19-inch cab about 10 years ago, helping an arcade operator friend of mine uh, fix up some main cabs that he sold. He made them out of these bookies cabs, the fixed odds betting terminals. Yeah. And he just came round one day and said, I've got this for you. And it was a Supreme like 19-inch sort of, a little bit bigger than a MIDI cab. Uh, and he just wheeled it in my house. So there you go. I'm like, oh, cheers. And it stank <laughs> of chips. It'd been in a Chinese chip shop. Oh, yeah. But when I looked dog, inside, yeah. I said, Oh, there's a. I phoned him up later on. So, oh, you left a Final Fight PCP in here, an original. He said, Yeah, just have it. Don't worry about it. 
And back right. then, they weren't worth as much money. I think mean, now you're probably looking at 150 quid for an original Final Fight. Mm, I think wow. I, I played it. Oh, I sold it for about 50 quid. I played it for a little while. Uh, you know, I played it through, through the game a few times as it continues. I had a good old go of it. And then just sold it a little bit later on, maybe a year later. I think I put, mm. spent, I got about 50 quid for it. What a lot of money. It's a damn sight more than that nowadays. Very popular. Very popular game. Yes. I played it. I think the first time I played it seriously was on our podcast 52 with the two maximum power-up guys, Phil and Paul, while you were in America. Oh, it was at Christmas time, wasn't it? It was away yeah. in America on we travels. I liked it. thought it was all right. It's a, it is, as you say, a credit feeder. I, I think the best, my favourite fight and go right, I'm not really into them, is the Punisher. Which is not on this list, but that's my favourite. I know what you're talking about. I like the Punisher. I also like um, Captain Commando. Mm. I think they must have been made with the same engine these games back in the day because they're all very similar. But you, the Punisher is that the one where you can be a a baby in a little mech as well and a ninja, or is that Ninja the one I no. said? I can't remember now. Because the Punisher's got three characters, isn't it? You can be the Punisher and, and his mate, I think, and one of his other mates, Dave from down a pub. Dave and, Punisher. And Pete from the post office, isn't it? Pete Punisher. Yeah. Pete Punisher, Dave Punisher. <laughs> and The Punisher. Mm. Well, i got a bit of trivia for you on this game as well. Trivia. The Trivia. The late, great Robin Williams, awesome comedian actor, uh, named his son Cody, reportedly after video game character in Final Fight. Nice. And he also has a famous daughter who's called Zelda. Wow. That is the best female name in the world, isn't it? For a it's kid. Great. great. Or a, or a cat. Zelda the cat, yes. Yeah, yeah. So mm. if you want to get a bit more on this, 52 was the podcast we did. Yep. Christmas time. Hi, this is Paul from Maximum Power Up Podcast, and I'm going to just be talking a little bit about Final Fight by Capcom from 1989. Now, Final Fight has always been one of my favourite games of all time, not just an arcade game. Um, it's one of those that I remember playing as a kid down in Butlins uh, in Minehead, and I remember back then being absolutely obsessed with games such as Double Dragon A, sort of, you know, scrolling beat em up game. But once I saw Final Fight and saw the massive sprites, the amazing sound coming from this cab, it just drew me to it straight away. It's always one of those that you could jump on with any random person, you know, and try and uh, clear up the uh, mean streets and rescue uh, Cody's girlfriend, Jessica. And it sort of just added a lot more to the scroll and beat em up genre um, from, you know, Double Dragon before it. Uh, it's something that Capcom uh, sort of came up with this perfect template for the scroll and beat em up because uh, years later you had Punisher, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs and things. But for me, Final Fight was always where it started and it sort of led to, you know, for home conversions as well, but nowhere near as good as the arcade. Now, I think with Final Fight, it's one of those where it can get quite tough in places. I find myself, if you go and say, over at Arcade Club, um, you can easily get ganged up. You know, my reflexes aren't quite as good as they were as a kid. Um, but I think one of the big tips is just, like most fighting games, make sure you keep all the bad guys on one screen, sorry, one side of a screen, and then you're not being, uh, you know, overrun. Um, but I think... Although it's not everyone's cup of tea, it's one of those that if someone actually says, right, go on, what's a good scrolling beat-em-up game? I would say suggest Final Fight because it's sort of just easy to pick up and play. Granted, there are like little tips, you know, to make things a little easier for you. But even to this day, it still looks stunning. So Final Fight, 
glad it's made the list. It's definitely, definitely needs to be there. And hopefully I'm not the only one who loves this game. Okay, next on the list we have Golden Axe. You voted for Golden Axe, kids. And I don't Woo-hoo! blame you. What a great game it is. Mm. So, Spivak. Instead of taking into consideration factors of innovation, originality, playability and so on, I will be quite simple in my criteria. The game spent the most coin in my childhood, one of those being Golden Axe. Absolutely. Yeah, he loved it. I remember this game. I remember completing this with loads of continues in one of the three-in-a-row arcades in my old hometown of Weymouth a long, long time ago. This is like probably early 90s, I think, when I did this. And it was in Electrocoin Goliath Cup. It had a, about a ten-row of them with all different games in. It was a cruel game at points in it, especially when the giants gang up on you, tag team, pound you to death. You get these mm. big guys, and when they duff you up, they laugh at you as well with those big axes. Swines. Uh, Gilius Thunder Heed all the way. I always play that character, little, the little elfy guy. No, what is he? He's a dwarf. A dwarf. 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 Never toss a dwarf. No, is he from the West Country? Here, I got my golden axe. <laughs> I'm going to bury it in Death Adder's head. <laughs> Drinking cider. Drinking cider. I like cider. Kicking those little mischievous blue imps is a lot of fun as well. You give him a kick at the backside. He did kick me up the ass. Mmm. <laughs> Why not? It's got a very good ending, this golden axe, isn't it? Because the doesn't the, don't the characters come to life and chase the player out of the arcade? A little scene at the end. Yeah, there's a little scene. Yeah, it's quite good because um, you duff up uh, death equals adder. Yes, that was his name. It was written death yeah. equals adder. I don't know why, but I always called him death equals adder. Dave Adder. Dave Adder. I don't I think actually... it is Dave actually. No. No, I think it's like Nathan. Dave. Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Nathan Adder. I've come to beat these people up. I'm a swine and a cancer. Nathan equals Adder. I played this mostly on the Mega Drive, a <gasps> lot more than the arcade. Very good version. That's it. That's all I've got to say. I you quite just, like it. You just jogged my Sorry. memory, actually. I bought, years ago, a Mega Drive 2, brand new. It wasn't new at the time. It was, it was brand new in the box, but, I mean, it had been out a few years, I think. And I bought one then, and it came with the Mega whatever cartridge number three. It had Streets of Rage 1 on it, Revenge of Shinobi, and Golden Axe. And I played Golden Axe a heck of a lot. That was a really good cartridge to pack in with a, with a Mega Drive. Such mm. good games, those three. Really shy enjoyed Nobi. that on there, yeah. Sh- yeah, he's very shy. Very shy. Shinobi. Yeah. yeah, little man. He's very shy. <laughs> Bit of trivia on this. Uh, Axe Battler, Gilius Thunderheed, and Tyrus Flair... The three characters in Golden Axe all make a cameo appearance in the arcade version of Alien Storm, don't you know? I didn't know that. Neither did I. I don't think I've ever played Alien Storm. I know what it looks like. It's like a shooty thing, isn't it? You're, you're yes. on a sort of uh, abandoned spaceship and there's loads of alien-type things after you. Uh, that, is that not Alan Sindon? No, no. It's, yeah, it's a similar premise, but a different game. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's like a side, side-scrolly thing. Here's Vip, a.k.a. George, from the Intellivisionaries. So the game that I'd like to talk about or praise would be Golden Axe. Uh, I think as a child when I grew up, Golden Axe was one of them games that immediately captured my attention and absolutely drank my tempees somewhere on the east coast under a grey rainy sky. So the reasons that I like Golden Axe mainly is because of this map situation that you've got going on. This idea of a map is quite nice because 
for people like me with a short attention span, it's not difficult to be shoehorned into a narrative. When you are shown a map and you see a scroll come out of nowhere and start drawing an arrow to a different part of the land, you get excited because you don't have to put in much time or effort for a game to uh, to really open up. Also, I don't know if anyone would agree with this, but modern game, and I don't really feel the way that I used to feel when I played video games back in the day, when we got games like Golden Axe, that would have to last easily, you know, a year, maybe a couple of years. So there was this investment for me in the characters that I played. I loved playing Golden Axe for that very reason, that the characters, you really got behind them, you really wanted to complete the games, you tried hard and you went back to it a billion times and uh, got better and better at beating Death Adder. Some of the things that I like about the game also is the music. I mean, that rhythmic thundering uh, drum loop that goes on at the beginning as the golden emblem pops down, which loosely in Japanese translates to Battle Axe, not Golden Axe. But that's by the by. Anyway, I've got to keep this under two minutes, so thank you for the podcast. I hope you go for 100 more, and Golden Axe most definitely has got to be in everybody's top five arcade games ever, surely. Thank you very much for the podcast, guys. Keep up the good work, and I look forward to uh, the next episode. Next on the list, kids, we have Vic's favourite game, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No! They are heroes in a half shell, would you believe? Yeah, I knew this was going to be on there. It was obvious, isn't it? So many people like this game. I think it's because mm. they're a bit younger than us, and they grew up around the cartoons. The cartoons yeah. were pretty decent, actually. Because my, yeah. my brother used to watch the cartoons. He, I used to buy him like um, the little characters and stuff for his birthdays and Christmases all the time. And I think he mm. still collects them now. I think he's still got a load now. They're quite collectible still. Victor bought his brother Aaron a Teenage Mutant Turtle for Christmas, so he can't dislike them that much. Wow. But it's not surprising, not surprising this game. But, you know, it's like, the thing I don't like about the game more than anything, the game is very generic. It's very similar to other Fight and Go Right games. It's the UK cab I really can't stand. It's a horrible yes. looking thing. Mm. But it seems to be very popular. I'm not sure why. Popular for a mm. fire, maybe. It's good for a four-player, few beers kind of a fun game, isn't it? This and the Simpsons kind of thing. No. Yes, it is. No. Harumph. Anyway, Lewis Batcave says... Sorry, chaps. I'm of the coin-guzzling brawler generation, and unashamedly so. I think TMNT encapsulated what arcades were in the early 90s and the late 80s. So, Dan Thornhill, this game is one of the reasons why I have such fast button-pressing fingers. Thank you, Donatello. (laughs) Daniel Castrogiovanni, what a name. Well remembered. Remember playing this with a friend and two strangers in Wales on holiday. We let them down big time. Oh, R. Benson, Rad, listen to number four. Just one of those games of an era. The sound of the theme tune blasting out. Great fun with four players, and even better if you know the trick to get loads of credits for free. What trick's that? Put lots of money in. Well, yeah, but I think it must be a better way of doing it. Must have to get extra lives or something. Mm. Eee. Let us know, Benson, Rad, because Vic wants to play it through. <laughs> well, you say that, and um, my next bit is hated this game for a long time. After initially liking it, I even bought the PCB for my old arcade op friend I mentioned earlier for about 30 quid. This is way back when. And selling it a bit later for a similar price. It's worth loads now, that board. 
I mean, there's the two-player and the four-player version. I cannot explain how much I hate the shape of the UK cab. Easily the nastiest of any arcade machine I've ever seen. Easily the nastiest arcade machine. Wow. This is Lewis Batcave from Batcave. From Gamer. Uh, This is Retro Games Night at the Batcave. And I'm talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, released October 1989 in Europe and North America. I'll just say, uh, Garstan Caravan site was where I spent most of my summers when I was a kid. Uh, thankfully, they had an awesome amusement arcade. One half was dedicated to like fruit machines and stuff, and the other was filled with arcade machines. I remember walking in to the blacklight filled room that smelled of stale smoke. A quid in hand, I'd walk over to the kiosk, manned by Vera. More facial hair than Brian Blessed, fag hanging out of her mouth, and an arm littered with washed out tattoos of ex-boyfriend's names. Change please. I would hear the theme tune and would head straight over with a fistful of coins and put my ten pence on the glass lip to let everyone know I was next in line. Kids who grew up in the arcades, late 1980s, religiously tuned in to watch four anthropomorphic <laughs> testudines trained in the art of ninjutsu by an anthropomorphic rat called Sensei called Splinter. Kick shredders, rock steadies, bebop krangs, and an army of foot soldiers' ass on a Saturday morning television. When we walked into an arcade and heard the familiar theme tune playing from the four-player cabinet, it immediately caught our attention. The plot of the game is a familiar one. April O'Neil sends out a distress call to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the four brothers go to rescue her from a burning tower block, only to find themselves lured into a trap with Angel April as bait. Whilst the turtles are distracted, Splinter is kidnapped. It's at this point that Shredder challenges the turtles to rescue Splinter and April by fighting their way through the Foot Clan. The game did not innovate or bring anything new to the table in terms of gameplay. What it did do, though, was take away all the guff and offered slick, easy-to-pick-up gameplay that hooked you in straight away. The difficulty quickly ramps up after the first level and you soon find yourself dropping 10 pence after 10 pence into the coin slot. A true coin guzzler. And Konami turned it into an art form. The biggest draw of the game was the ability to play with three other friends as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, each named after famous Renaissance uh, Italian artists with their own abilities and characteristics. Doing a blue mask and armed with two katana is Leonardo, the base character for the game with average strength, speed and reach. Wearing an orange mask was Michelangelo with greater strength but far shorter reach and with a pair of nunchucks. Hiding behind his purple mask is Donatello, slow but strong with a long reach thanks to his bow staff. That's a big stick that shot. Raphael wearing a red mask is the quickest yet the weakest armed with a pair of sai, them fork things. <laughs> the graphics are colourful and faithful to the cartoon with animation sets that mirrored the source of the material. As you played the game you felt like you were taking part in a cartoon. The humour, the story, the kick-ass moves are all present. The music composed 
Wins by Mutsusiko Izami and Mickey Chang is again very faithful to the source material and demands your attention in the arcade. Original tracks composed by the two accompanied music from the cartoon, yet the whole composition still maintains its recognisable style that carries on through other titles such as Simpsons and Asterix. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, can easily be criticised as a simple cash grab aimed squarely at kids in arcades, but Konami made a game that was incredibly fun to play, great to look at, and sounded incredible. I happily fed my 10 pence pieces into this excellent coin guzzler of a game, and still enjoying playing it to this day. It's always a popular one in the house when Sunny Who's Nine turns on the main cab for a quick game. Thank you, Louis. No problem. Thank you. Right, the winner of this category is... Double Dragon! Double Dragon with the most votes. Well done, Double Dragon. Del Griffith says, This blew me away when I first played it. It has an awesome soundtrack. Yeah, can't, can't disagree with that, can you? No. I recently... Talk about soundtracks and stuff on, on Double Dragon. I sold a, a Double Dragon bootleg board I'd recently. I bought it part of a, um, a bulk buy of a few things I wanted. I didn't want Double Dragons. I've never really liked the game. Well, I did mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but not, not so much now. And it didn't have any sound. Because the tune's mm-hmm. quite good. It had sound effects, but it didn't have the tune. And the guy I swapped it with for a Time Pilot bootleg, which is, in my opinion, a far better game, uh, he fixed it almost straight away. He found out what was wrong with it, fixed it, just like that. So, for him. Nice. Pretty good. Rolly Retro. Best two-player brawler. Had to play to the end after a lot of 10 pence pieces. Mm. So, personally, for me, this game, I don't like it anymore. I used to. It's too jerky and feels really disjointed. There's loads of slowdown in it when you get lots of characters on the screen. Uh, but that might be just the bootlegs I've played. I'm not sure if the original PCB does it. I don't know. Right. Uh, maybe a bit ambitious at the time for you know, on inadequate hardware. It was better playing with a friend as well, because you, you could duff each other up and, and double-dragon people where one person gets one side and you just beat the heck out of them in the middle. I do like the two NES games of this game. Right. Recently, I listened to the... Arcade Perfect podcast, and they did Double Dragon. Yes. And they liked, I think it was the NES, the second game and not the first one. I like both of them. I played with my brother a lot. We used to play two-player on it. I think you could play two-player anyway. So yeah, I quite like the NES version. Yeah, this category I don't have a lot of experience with because it's not one of my favourites. It's it's another one where you're having a, a, a good time with your friends, I think. It's not a single-player experience. And to be honest, when's the last time? Oh, I did play it a few weeks ago, but I've it's all right. It's okay. That's all I got to say. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. The thing about the game as well, it, it was innovative at the time. But I think when you look back on it, and I, when I first played it in the arcade, well, I couldn't get enough of it because there weren't that many beat 'em ups around. You know, it was quite mm. an early one to be sort of roaming around and picking up chains and baseball bats and pipes and biffing people with them and stuff. So it was all a big thing back then. And I used to play it a lot. I loved it. I mean, everyone did. I mean, all the kids at school loved it. And then the the versions came out on the the home computers, which were terrible and all this sort of stuff. But you look back on it now, and I played it, obviously, when I started getting back into MAME again, like 10 years ago or so. And um, I just thought, this is really boring. And all that kind of games, they sort of, they're very similar, just... Duff up, duff up, duff up, go across here, keep going, duff up, duff up. And you, you sort of learn a pattern, how to beat the guys up. And it just there's just no real gameplay to me. It gets really boring very quickly. 
Yeah, I know a lot of uh, the sort of younger generation to us are like like are quite fond of this style of game, and yeah, I think definitely. I was. Yeah, my sort, of, you know, my sort of style. I love the shoot 'em ups, but these are okay. They're all right for a laugh. Yeah, I mean, to... back in the day, I loved them. I mean, I was, I was like these people, the younger people now playing them as retro games. I mean, I loved them, absolutely loved them. But nowadays, just not my kind of game, chum. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Hi there, this is Dean Swain from the Retro Asylum Podcast Show, and I'm pretty pleased that Double Dragon has made it into the top fifty, as it is one of my all-time favourite arcade games. I first played the game in the summer of 1987 in a dark, dingy minicab office in the east end of London, which was just around the corner from my secondary school. We used to all pile over there over lunchtime, and I remember walking into this minicab office, and there was a crowd around this machine, and I peered over a couple of guys' shoulders and watched the game play for a bit. And then once they come off of it, I put my coin in, heard that classic sound effect that you get when you insert a credit into Double Dragon and just fell in love with the game. It had a great intro sequence, it didn't need much of a story, the girl gets kidnapped and away you go. It had great sound effects, great music, great gameplay, some of the things at that point we hadn't seen before. It was the first two-player scrolling beat-em-up, it had interactive backgrounds, climbable fences, ladders, weapons that you could pick up and use against your enemy. Really groundbreaking stuff at the time. Some people slagged the game off because of its slowdown, but back in 1987, I really didn't even notice it. It's only today when you play it. Yes, it does slow down, but I still think it's an enjoyable game. I got very good at the game. So much, in fact, that it got to the point where none of my friends would want to play the game with me because they knew at the end of the game that the two players have to battle it out to win the girl, and I was winning every time. These days when I play it, I tend to play it to try and find more bugs in the game and see some of the stranger things. Like, for instance, you can get thrown up onto the balcony where the very end boss is, and you can hit him before he actually walks through the doors. You can turn the boxes blue, you can make the whips bounce from tree to tree on the forest level. And here's a little tip. In two-player mode, if one of the players gets a bad guy into a full Nelson at the end of the stage, keep him there and let the other player beat the boss. The clock timer stops, and then if you pick up a whip, you can start whipping the bad guys in the full Nelson and really rank up some high points and get loads of extra lives. So, yeah, great game. I still enjoy it. Still play it from time to time. Really great in two-player mode. So we're moving on to the next category now, and we can't think of a good name to call it. You couldn't think of a good name to call this. (laughs) So I've called it Fight and Go Right. Fight and Go Right. I call it Smack of That. Smack and Go Back. Yay. Whoa. Hey. It's good. It's good, Dad, isn't it? Let's copyright it quick. This section can be categorised as a game predominantly featuring the player fighting his way through horizontally scrolling levels with plenty of platformer-style jumping on some of our games. Plenty much jumping around. Yes. And the first one we got, personal favourite of mine, in a cab of mine, right next to me in the garage at the moment, Kung Fu Master. Or, the better version, Sean Fu Master. Spartan X. Spartan X in Japan. What up? Mm. So we don't want any listener comments on this, but what a game. I mean, I'll, I'll take this one. I've got the PCB of this game. I've actually got two, and it's usually in a machine of mine. And that's what I said, in this one next to me, it's in at the moment. I love it and really enjoyed beating Trollads when we reviewed it that time. Yeah. 
That was a lot of fun. We just hung around a level two and just point pressed to death. Yeah, we beat him. Time. That's that's allowed. It's allowed to be done. So I can usually loop it when I play it now, and I've had a few goes. Uh, I think I've got halfway through the second loop before, so at level three on the loop. Yeah. So I'm doing quite well of it. I mean, I, I used to be really. I always wanted to do it as a kid, and a friend of mine could do it. And it always, I always sort of thought it was too difficult to do. And then I got right into it a few years ago, and I managed to do it at Nurg two years ago, I think. Because we were playing it on that mm. Electrocoin cab, weren't we? We were playing it on a Goliath of James's. You was, then I could get near you. Yeah, I, was, get I, I, I got right into it that time. Please, mister, can I go on that cab? No! no! Get out! I'm still beating the bloke up with the yellow pyjamas. <laughs> the bad guy then wears yellow pyjamas in slippers. Yeah. But he does beat you up, though. I still hate the humpy back wizard in this game on level four. By far the hardest bit. Yeah. It's just so difficult, that bit. It's annoying. Yeah, level four, isn't it? When you've got the butterflies and you get the wizard at the end. I don't know. I can't yeah, remember. such a great... I mean, the other levels are quite easy. The, the guy at the end is a certain knack to doing it, but the humpback guy, I could never really work out a foolproof way of killing him. Mm. Always annoying. He chucks snakes and eagles at you. Eagle! Watch out for snakes. I have a love-hate relationship with this. It's frustrating but enjoyable. It's one of them. I I've I haven't played it for quite a while actually because it take it's that learning curve to get back into it, isn't it? It's the bosses yeah. at the end. Yeah, I mean, all the bosses are really easy apart from four and five. Mm. And the butterflies. If you don't do a good run on the butterflies, they can sort of take your health off quite quick as well. But, I mean, it's, level it's a, two now always used to kill me because all the stuff dropping on you. I could never sort of work out how to do that. But when you get the hang of it, you can get a, a shed load of points, and it's really easy to work out how to do it. It's really easy. I can breeze through that now. Yeah, it is a. It's a great game mechanic. It just feels really good to play. But there are frustrating bits in it, like that that wizard dude. It's one of those games. It's an old old friend of mine. And it's one that I've actually got quite good at. I'm, I can say, yeah, I can play it quite well now. And there's not many games I'm that good at. There's a few. I'm okay. Mm. Nothing. No world championship business. But I can, I can sort of hold my own on that game, I think, now. Mm. It's like that and scramble. I can loop, you know, just easily without even thinking about it nowadays. And then if I really put my mind to it, I can get like eight or ten loops. Yeah. So it's one of those kind of games. like Green Beret. I completed Green Beret that time when we, when we were doing... It on the podcast, so, and I was really pleased because that, that's one of the games I could never do in the arcade. I haven't done that. I haven't, I haven't oh, finished that. I've only done it once, but I got to the last level a few times. But I've not really played it much since we did it on the podcast. Mm. But also, this game is called just called Kung Fu on the NES. Yeah. And back at Halloween, I, I loaded up the the mini NES I've got. You know those little ones. Yeah. And I was playing it on there because it's got loads of games, and I hacked it, put loads of games on, and it's decent on there. Really solid conversion. Right. Yeah, really nice. The graphics are a little bit smaller, and it looks a little bit different, but the gameplay is brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. Mm. Here's Rob O'Hara from Cactus Flax, You Don't Know Flack, and Sprite Castle Podcast, talking about Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu Master was a 1984 arcade game made by Irem and produced by Nihon Busan, although most people in the United States know it as a Data East title. Kung Fu Master was the first beat-em-up arcade game, so this game literally started a new genre. Although, to be fair, in the early 80s, there weren't that many genres, so lots of games started new genres. The gameplay was originally modeled after the Bruce Lee film Game of Death, 
but the game was retitled in Japan to Spartan X, which was a 1984 movie starring Jackie Chan. But I'm guessing the license wasn't cheap and wouldn't have made much sense to anyone outside of Japan anyway, so when Daddy used to export the game, they retitled it Kung Fu Master. The story is set at the beginning with a couple of lines of text. A Kung Fu Master, Thomas, and Sylvia were suddenly attacked by several unknown guys. Sylvia was kidnapped by them. Later, Thomas found a letter from X. He is an inhabitant of the Devil's Temple. When the game starts, the letter from X reads, Your love Sylvia is in custody now. If you want to save your dear Sylvia's life, come to the Devil's Temple at once. Five sons of the Devil will entertain you. So then it's up to you to guide Thomas through five levels of the Devil's Temple. Each level has different enemies, like those unknown guys and dudes with throwing knives and snakes and dragons and little people. So there's some variety in your enemies. And at the end of each level, you'll face one of the five sons of the devil. For controls, you get a four-way joystick with punch and kick buttons. You can attack high or low, but there are no weapons, at least not for you. All you have are your fists and feet to fight your way through the temple. Now, as far as presentation goes, I love this game. Kung Fu Master was released in 84, and if you look at platform games from the previous year, you'll see most of them had black backgrounds. But just one year later, in Kung Fu Master, we can see the inside of the Devil's Temple. We can see the brown wooden floor, the artwork and Japanese symbols on the walls, and even the tiles that make up the roof. So it's very colorful, very detailed for 1984. For sound, we've got a repeating bass line in the background. We've got a couple of different digitized screams that go with Thomas's attacks. And we also have this evil laugh that comes up during cutscenes. So everything here just feels pretty cutting edge for the time. The gameplay might be a little frustrating for modern gamers due to a lack of different attacks and the exact timing that's required to defeat some of the bosses, but that's what I liked about the game. There weren't any hints to tell you how to beat those bosses, so I remember as a kid getting to the end of the first level and then wondering, well, how do I beat this guy? And I didn't. He hit me on the head with a club and I died and that was it. It was back to the beginning. So Kung Fu Master reminds me of that era where people gathered in arcades and pooled their knowledge together. And I definitely remember playing Kung Fu Master at my local bowling alley and experiencing that, that uh, passing of information that happened between kids and arcades back then. And I'm also a sucker for all those early karate and kung fu games. I loved early ninja movies, and I took karate lessons as a kid, so I loved all those games like, oh, Karate Champ and Yard Kung Fu and Double Dragon and, of course, Kung Fu Master. I like games where you know the score right up front. You know there are five levels to beat and five bosses, and from there, it's just about seeing how much ass you can kick on one quarter. So next on the list of our fight and go rights is pack land so so this is a fight and go right is a, a loose term kind yeah, it's of it's more pack, of a yeah. jump and go right and eat power oh. pills and sandwiches and pies sandwich and go right right chris moon crest bootleg says of pack land he says a close second best platformer to wonder boy for me brilliant music and gameplay and a unique control system where you tap the joystick to speed up or button if it was an original cab mm. and chock full of secrets as well Yep, I I sort of love and hate this game at the same time. Uh, yeah. Nothing like a real Pac-Man game. If you forget that, it's just got Pac-Man in it. Uh, but it is a good game in its own right. Totally different from Pac-Man. Play the button version rather than the stick version, though. It's a lot easier. It plays much better. Yeah. Um, I wish I was better at this game, actually. I like watching people play this game because they can get further on it than I can. And there are tons of secrets. Absolutely tons. And the, the actual cabinet, Smarty Martin's got one. And it's a really nice cab. Really like it. I like watching people play it. Paz, who goes, he's not been to Arcade Club for a bit. He's into his modern games at the moment. But watching him play it, just breeze through it and complete it, it's, it's real fun to watch. It's a wow. pleasure to watch. 
Mm. I can always do level one quite easily, and I think I can do level two, and that's got to be my limit. And what is it, six levels, something like that? I have no idea. Yeah. Awesome little game. Very trippy in places as well. Mm. Yeah, good one. Good on the, I think there's some good versions like on the Commodore 64 as well. Yeah. Yeah, some and nice home versions. Did the Amiga have a version? I'm dreaming it. I would have thought so. Hello, it's Paul Driscoll here, a.k.a. The Drisk. Now, I've been asked to talk about the brilliant arcade game, Pac-Land. Released in 1984, it's based on the Hanna-Barbera cartoon spin-off of the original Pac-Man game. And this time, it's a full-blown platform game, having you control Pac as he traverses such dangerous places, such as Ghost Town and the countryside wilds to make it to fairyland and get some fairy boots. This is 26 rounds of platforming joy, chock full of tons of secrets, amazing music by Yuriko Kaino of Dig Dug and Xevious fame, and stunning programming wizardry from the master Yoshihiro Kishimoto, or Kissy to his mates. Now what truly impresses me with this game though, is that this was out in 1984. This was a game that was out before Super Mario Brothers. It really is a true trailblazer in the realm of platformers. And for that alone, it should be given respect. This is one game I constantly find myself going back to every chance I get. And I strongly urge any platform lovers, or people still with a little bit of love in their heart, to give this game a go. You won't be disappointed. Shinobi is the next on our list, kids. Oh, not surprised. I knew it'd be up there somewhere. People love Shinobi. When I was a kid, I loved it as well. Super tough. Pete Harner's put Ooh. the best arcade platformer, in my opinion. No messing there, Pete. Uh, is Pete Harn the world champion by any chance? I bet he I'm is. I'm not sure. He may be. He I know he's very good at it. I know he can do it easy. Speaking of Pete Han, player extraordinaire. Here he is. Hey everyone, Pete Han here. Uh, just wanted to take a couple minutes and tell you why I love Shinobi, the arcade game, and why it's one of my top five favorite arcade games of all time. Um, I really didn't play this game too much growing up. I have a couple memories of playing it on the Sega Master System at friends' houses growing up. Uh, I really didn't get into it in, uh, until the last couple of years playing it at Galloping Ghost Arcade. Um, but one of the reasons I love it so much uh, is that it's very rewarding. Um, and what I mean by that is when you put in time to really break it down, um, there's so much to explore and uh, learn about the game. So uh, most people do know this, but the, the game rewards you uh, for not using your range weapon, your shuriken. Uh, if you use just melee kills on the enemies, you are rewarded with a 20,000 point bonus for every level you complete without using the melee attacks, or with using melee attacks. Uh, same with the ninja magic. Uh, if you don't use the ninja magic, you get a 5,000 point bonus. Um, so there's uh, a lot of uh, strategy to just learning the game without playing, uh, without the, playing with the ranged weapons. So other than that, there's a, there's a couple um, lesser-known things. For example, the bonus rounds. Well, the bonus rounds, um, most people know that if you complete them without the uh, ninja getting to you, you get uh, an extra life. But um, you can also, if, you, um, if you're careful and if you know what you're doing, you can actually use, your, um, use those to actually score better. If you allow the ninjas to jump to the second platform nearest you before they jump off and attack you, um, you get more points than... By killing them in the back row, uh, so if you take that extra risk and let them get to the front row, you will get more points for killing them there. 
Um, another uh, lesser known uh, thing you can try to learn is the uh, special one-ups. The There's several hostages, the little ninja kids you have to rescue through the game. Um, there's a couple that if your score uh, is having the last, uh, not not the uh, the last digit, but the, the, the three digits from the end, not including the ones digit, have to be all the same digit. Um, if you can match those all up and pick up the, the special hostage with that exact uh, three digits matching up, the hostage will give you a one-up, um, which um, there's a lot of strategy involved in this because there's no way to manipulate the tens digit without um, looking at your time. The time is the only way to manipulate your tens digit. So you've got to be looking at the level before what your timer is at and uh, finish with the correct time on the timer before proceeding to the next level to get your special one up. Um, but other than that, all, other than you know how deep that rabbit hole go goes to master all the advanced techniques, the game is very rewarding even for a beginner. Once you're just starting getting into it, you can just play it for one credit clear. Um, it's not the hardest game in the world. It's not the easiest, but uh, I do recommend just play it for one credit clear first before you go into trying for the no shuriken bonuses. Um, once you can clear it, then maybe start trying to do no shuriken bonuses. Um, I do recommend also use the uh, ninja magic as a, like a panic bomb and a shmup. Just don't die holding your ninja magic, you no know, holding death. Um, but it's a super fun game. The controls uh, are super responsive, even compared to games of today. It, it's there's no slap in the controls, and it feels like a, um, I don't know, it's, it's a game that shouldn't be missed, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, that's Shinobi for the Arcade, and this has been Pete Hunt. Thanks for listening. I, yeah, such a great game. Uh, Alan Delta Lima, one of five games I played as a kid in the arcade Caesars Palace in Fisborough in Dublin. I always return to this. It's one of the best games I play whenever an arcade club. Mm. Yeah, this game, I always thought this game was rock hard. After level one. Level one you can do fairly easy. You can duff up old Ken. Ken. Yeah. Oh. What was his name? Ken. Oh. <laughs> really? Yeah. His name is Ken O. O-H. But I oh. always called him Ken. Oh. <laughs> uh, really nice all round. I mean, no complaints here. I love the animations when you chop some baddie in face. And yeah. they clutch their broken chops as they fade away. Oh. Got to collect little kiddies tied up. Kidnap kiddies. Oh, poor kitty. Hasn't Pete Hahn done this without using magic? Yes, Sean, he has. Are you not listening? More than likely. For maximum pointage, I think. Yes. Oh, really? You get more points? Yeah, more points for killing the people without the magic. I think so. E. I really, really like the the bonus section where you're sort of on a platform and there's ninjas flying at you and you got hit with the, the flowing stars. It used to really shock me because you you not notice one jump up on the last level and that's when they're going to land on you. And they jump right in front of you. And, yeah, get you right in the face and it makes Oof. you jump. Eek, eek. Here's a here's a good one. A nice easy game for a relaxing Sunday afternoon. Ghosts and goblins. Yes, possibly one of the hardest games ever made in the arcade. Could be, but Could be. there are some people who can do it. Breeze through it. Mm, Paz is Paz can do that. Wow. Uh, we've had a feedback from Keith. Such an amazing yet terrifying soundtrack of my youth and also a coin eater. Uh, Scott Hattle. Remember playing this as a kid and thinking it was super hard. I had awesome music and it was one of those games you could get better with loads of quarter drops. 
This lad Ooh. must be American if he's putting quarters into it. Yeah, it would just fall right through the coin mech if he was in the UK. A quarter, quarter smaller than 10 pences. They're about the same size as our modern 10 pences. Mm. Do you want me to measure one? Yeah, go on. 25.4 millimetres. Nice. That's just a guess, kids. That's an inch. But probably if it's America. <laughs> Philip D-Type says, not sure why I love this. Maybe it's just because it's so well executed. And you do get executed a quite lot. a lot. Yeah, this is another Capcom classic. But it's so, so tough. I'd love to be able to complete this one day, but I think it's just too out of my ability to do so. I've, mm. I've watched YouTube videos on this to see how to do the game, and you've got to have certain weapons and certain points. And then it's one of those Capcom things they introduced. You do the game all the way through, and it takes you half... Is it all the way back or halfway back through the game? And you've got to do it all again to see the proper ending. Right. That is just cruel, isn't it? Yeah. I played this on oh, Commodore, no. Commodore 64 and didn't get anywhere with it. I think I got three or four levels, but nowhere near finishing it. The Spectrum... And the Commodore 64 versions I played as a kid were both excellent ports. Remember mm-hmm. being really good, but still difficult as well. The music on it is so cool. It is good, isn't it? Yep. So we have a category winner in the fight and go right or smack and go back. Yes. Category. And it is. What Ready is the kids? winner? Tell me. Do some drum rolls. <laughs> that's, that's not a drum roll, it's a drunk, drunk horse. Yeah. It is Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy wins. Del Griffith, Griffith, sorry, has put still enjoying playing as much now as when I was a kid. At Carleton, great game, but also nostalgic memories of a childhood holiday. Mm. Oh, let's put some harps in there, shall we? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Christopher Moon Crested Bootleg, who's very, very good at this, possibly one of the best arcade platforms out this out there. I remember this and Pac-Clan Cab being in a hotel when on holiday. Uh, one year as a youngster axes skateboards hidden secrets and a boss who, whose head keeps falling off what's not to like hello vic sean and all the 10 pencers out there it's dave flinster here one of my top arcade games of all time has to be wonder boy by sega the game is very special to me it always brings back many happy memories of sunny mediterranean holidays as a kid it was at a hotel in Mallorca where I first discovered the game back in 1987. While our parents sunbathed, the kids were free to muck about in the pool and spend our holiday money on ice creams and the arcade machine in the bar. We spent so much time around that machine that when the coin box was empty, the bar owner gave us half of our coins back. I guess he knew they'd all come back to him anyway. Somehow the game had the same vibe as our summer holidays. Blue skies, palm trees, the ocean waves, and of course me throwing axes at bees. That's why I have my dedicated mini Wonder Boy cab, and why everyone in the house can sing the in-game music. <laughs> Chocks axes at bees. It's not surprising this game had the most votes. I personally can't play it because of the inertia of the character as you play he sort of slides around a little bit especially on the skateboard you don't like but inertia i really like the adventure island series on the original game boy though which is weaker which is weird go figure that it's the same game <laughs> with a different name i think or a different company spun off to do the game i think hudson went one way and sega went the other way right and it, you know they did adventure island and there was a load of sequels really good on a pc engine and the game is really good and it's another one i like to watch people play because I'm just no good at it, and I wish I was better at it. So, yeah, it's quite good to, to watch people play it. Mm. Lovely, colourful game. 
Really so nice. check out podcast number 31 if you want to hear more on that. Kids, I really like Wonderboy. I got into it through the podcast. Really nice. like it. Our next section is fixed screen shmups. <laughs> Any shooter where the scrolling backgrounds do not feature predominantly and the action seems rooted to one area or arena. Do you like that? It's good, that, isn't it? It's a good, good description. Mm. First one up, Stone Cold Classic. Phoenix. Phoenix! We've talked Phoenix. a lot about Phoenix. Phoenix. A lot about Phoenix and its bugs and features, but it's still... No, just features. Special features. We're going to call them special features. It's like Kung Fu Master. Just, uh, just frustrating, but you just come back to it because it is such good gameplay. Anyway, Roly Retro is put 1982, a hotel in Mallorca, and the game was Phoenix. Spent two weeks and lots of 25 peseta pieces trying to master this one. Nice one. You'll never master it. Ross Ross, my first ever arcade machine. Picked up a cocktail at a market in Edinburgh years ago. The seller told me it was worth 2,000 quid. He accepted 370. <laughs> right, I have a cabinet of this. I have a Taito Trimline, a little cabaret of this, an original Phoenix. And in the UK, and many places in Europe and bootlegs of it, always had a joystick, but the original version had buttons, left and right buttons, mm. like, like the American version of Space Invaders as well, which I cannot get on with. No. Can't be doing left and right for buttons. No, I need a joystick. I love this game. I've loved it ever since I first played it when I was 10. Still love it now. It's one of those games I just keep going back to. And I've got a high score kit in mine as well now. Because originally it didn't save high scores, but Phil Murray did a nice high score kit for it. Awesome. So good. Even with the terrible bugs, I like to call features. Yes, the where the baddies go through your shield sometimes. Yeah, the shield is useless. You cannot rely on the shield, but yeah. I, I, I still do like it, and I do play it at Arcade Club. I think they've got at least two cabs, maybe three. They've got one wow. with buttons, one with stick. Yeah, stick's better. One of, that, one of those German things as well. Hi, this is Paul Davis from the Retro Asylum Podcast, and many thanks to Vic and Sean for asking me to get involved in their Top 50 Arcade Games of All Time list. So my contribution is a game that I played a huge amount of when I was a kid, and that is Phoenix, uh, an arcade machine first produced by Century in 1980, and very much an early era arcade machine that actually saw about apparently about 18,000 cabinets made. So no doubt about it, Phoenix was a big hit for Century. The game is fairly uh, similar to other games like uh, Space Invaders, Galaga, Galaxians, that it sees you controlling a spaceship moving from left to right horizontally at the bottom of the screen, and you have to destroy multiple waves of bird-shaped spaceships, birds, and finally a huge mothership final boss. The ship itself is equipped with a rather unreliable shield that is on a recharge before it can be used again, um, but suffice to say, it doesn't always engage or prevent the birds uh, ploughing into you during the game. So a bit risky to use it, but it's good to have it there. And it's also important to note that uh, the game has button-only controls, so there's no joystick here, so both uh, both firing and directions are controlled by buttons. 
Now, this was an arcade machine that was pretty omnipresent um, when I went into London and uh, on the coast when I was a kid. I probably played it most at my regular haunts on uh, Tottenham Court Road, following the usual excruciatingly long bus uh, bus trip with my mates on the number 26. And the game itself did actually have a pseudo-sequel in the form of Pleiades, or Pleiades, never been really sure how to pronounce that that was a slightly busier version of Phoenix, but did allow you to have multiple bullets on the screen at any one time. But I must say I've never really seen it out in the wild and played it on the uh, on the cab itself. Now, as far as the game is concerned, there's not very many Easter eggs or tricks to it, but um, one of the... Well, the one main one is that when you're faced with birds on the, uh, well, on any board, but primarily on the second board, because this is the one where you can have auto fire, is as they're on a diagonal away from you and spread their wings, if you shoot three in quick succession, you get a 200,000 point bonus. So it's actually fairly easy to do as long as you get your timing right, because they all do tend to line up in sort of three or four, uh, and you can take them out fairly quickly. But you need to get three in about two seconds, so you've got to be pretty hot on the uh, on the trigger um as far as the game itself what i like most about it is the aesthetic and the sheer size of the sprites on screen it's fantastic the way that you see the big birds swooping down and you've been able to wing them or watch a huge explosion when you hit them in the middle really made the game stand out and also it had some pretty cool music as well and some classical music that they uh, that they threw into the mix um, also, the other thing that made Phoenix stand out among uh, a lot of the other games of similar types was the final boss is really cool. As you've got to blast your way through a giant mothership, and it's got a big round orange hull and then a, a spinning purple belt. And much like um, in Tron, when you're going up the MCP, where you have to kind of shoot your way into it, um, you have to get... Uh, to hit the alien in the centre of the ship while the ship descends on you and multiple boards, uh, birds uh, swoop down. So it really isn't easy to do, but very satisfying to do. And um, obviously the, the one game that has something very similar, and given the similarities, the final boss in Gorf is clearly inspired by Phoenix, which is a nice nod because Gorf is one of my other favourite arcade, uh, arcade machine shooters. So... Where else did uh, Phoenix appear? Well, the other home computer version, it's safe to say there are actually quite a few. Um, as for the home versions, Phoenix appeared officially on the 2600 in 1982. And there was another game on the 2600 which was clearly inspired by Phoenix. It was a game called Demon Attack. Uh, it was also released on um, the 2600 in 1982. If you have a look at Demon Attack, it is very similar to Phoenix. And, and I, I did read that there was, there was talk of a legal challenge, which is weird because... It appeared on an Atari 2600, and you think that someone would have noticed before it got to being made, but there you go. And, of course, being the 80s, there were a whole heap of bird-based clones out there, including Griffin, Condor, Falcon, Eagle Empire, Vortor, and Firebirds. But for me, the notable mention goes to Phoenix on the ZX Spectrum, which is spelled P-H-E-E-N-I-X. I mean, those developers really were a clever bunch back in the day. Um, on the Spectrum, this is probably the game I played way more of this than I did the arcade game. Um, my quest as a kid was always try and recreate arcade experiences on home computers. Suffice to say, it didn't always uh, match up. But um, this this one really does. And it's probably one of my favourite clones, as it, as it is 
well, it does replicate the arcade game perfectly, even down to the sound. So when you put them alongside, obviously there will be limitations compared to the arcade board to the ZX Spectrum. But it is, um, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's very close and a very satisfying game still to this day. So there it is, Phoenix. I'm not sure where it's going to appear on the list, but it's certainly in my top 10 favorite arcade games of all time. Hopefully you guys know it and you've enjoyed my little contribution. Many thanks. Right, the next one is one of my top 10 games of all time. It is Galaxian. Charlie Farr has put, I have vivid memories of playing this with my cousin at a seaside arcade when I was about 10. I thought I had quite... It had quite the sinister atmosphere with its inky black star field and the constant drone of the aliens. Neither of us cleared the first screen. How times have changed. Pure as snow. Iconic is put. Yep, absolutely. It's gone a bit further from doing one screen to about 500 screens, hasn't it? Mm -mm. Uh, Mark K. Took the original Space Invaders and created a whole new mechanic. Perfectly balanced gameplay. Oh, yes. Mr. Trollnads has put, avoided as a child as I was terrible at it and money was effectively thrown away. Now I own one and after learning the game, I can get 200,000 plus on it and last over an hour. That is a good score. Has he got an original cab or is it just a PCB in uh, a generic cabinet? I think it's just a PCB, I think. So I've got the multi-game for this, which is really good. It's done on an original PCB, but there's been things added to it. This mm. one, for me, another classic for my youth. I probably always played this on a bootleg cab or a UK Bell Fruit licensed version. I never saw the original white-sided American or Japanese version of this ever. I don't think I did. Well, I don't, I don't think I ever saw a Namco or a Midway cab. And this game was everywhere when I was a kid. Probably the, the most bootleg PCB of all time, I reckon. And Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, that Phoenix. Well, Phoenix bootlegs were made for Taito, I think, and Romstar and whoever else released it, because they're all exactly the same. I've got an original just on the floor down there, and it's exactly the same as my bootleg. They always had a number on them, like a scrawled on there. There's no yeah. official markings like Romstar. They just had a sticker put on them. So I think the the bootlegs are made in the same factory as originals. <laughs> I was talking wow. to Phil Murray about this recently. He reckons exactly the same thing. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, I love the crazy hacks and versions of this game, as well as the tons of other games that use a similar hardware. And I've got that macro multi-game Galaxian, and I'm going to put it in a cab permanently as well, I think. Mm. Good game. There's a game on that called Pisces. I was, I was talking Piskies. to you about it. And I, I quite like Pisces. It's got a bit, bit gets a bit unfair later on, but it's a nice game. I like to call it Piskies. Piskies? Yes. Next, kids, we have... And this is a great section for me. I love all the games in this section. We have... Centipede! Whoop, whoop, It's very good, that. Yeah, I like doing that. Mm -hmm. Charlie Farr has said, the only dedicated cab I would ever consider owning. I don't think I'll ever get bored of it. Perfect control, simple but effective graphics. Wouldn't change a single thing about it. Probably my favourite game of all time. You need to be at one with this machine to truly master it. Can you see that? what's over my shoulder there, Sean? Is that a centipede next yeah, to the next, battle zone? Next to the battle zone, yeah, it's a proper mm. centipede. Wow. It took me ages to get hold of that cab, and I'm not getting rid of it now. So please don't ask anyone else. Please, you're not having it. Steve Tight wants it. He's not having it. <laughs> he can't have it. It's mine. <laughs> Ed Horse says, great game with the trackball, and that side art is amazing. It's some of the best side art ever, isn't it? Trollnad says, not a title we had locally, so I never got to know just how good it is. I will buy one of these pretty soon, I think. Yeah, if you can find one, Trollnads. Mm. 
Danny Frothmeister. For me, the most iconic sounds of the arcade. But also a fantastic shooter. Could always hear this being played from a fair distance away. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I think it's another one I've got in through the, into through the podcast, and I never played it when I was younger because I did. I thought the controls were stupid. Controlling the shooter with a trackball, and then you play it, and you play it a bit more, and you play it a bit more, and all of a sudden you think, I can't play this any other way. It's fantastic. I remember as a kid seeing centipedes in, in generic cabs with joysticks. Because I, I didn't know it was mm. a trackball game for years, and then I found one you know, original uh, version of it, and thought, oh my god, it's a weird trackball thing. And it works really well. I think a lot of shooters would, would benefit from a trackball, you know? Maybe. Imagine playing yeah. cave shooters with a trackball, how, how sort of accurate you could get when you're dodging bullets and stuff. That is, that is a, a point, yeah. It's a thought, isn't it? Mm. They'd have to be programmed to use... I don't know, you could probably... I don't know, maybe we make it work with a trackball. I don't know, you have to probably program it to make it work. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Mm. As we said, though, I've got this dedicated cab now. It's a bit beaten, mine, but mm. beggars cannot be choosers. It works. The, the screen's a bit weird, but it's good because of the colours. It works really well. I love it, and I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy it all the same. One of those games I just enjoy. Whether I have five yep. minutes on it or half an hour, it's just great. Awesome. The next one on the list is the Mighty Mighty Hemorrhoids. Mighty Hemorrhoids. Oh, otherwise no, sorry. Known. Asteroids. Asteroids. TWB says, this was the first game I ever rolled to score on. That's over 100,000. I was still at school, and like most days, we'd gone down to the local cafe to spend our dinner money on a couple of vids they had in there. Myself and half a dozen others that stayed to see it ended up with detention for missing afternoon registration. Write 100 times, I must not play asteroids in my lunch break. Yes, must not shoot pointy rocks. Bobby Hazelnuts, really stylish graphics, wonderful physics, and still a joy to play. Charlie Farr, he's on his, his list of all-time greats. The way your ship controls is just sublime. You can keep your deluxes and your blasteroids. The original will always be king. Mm, fair point. Chris CNP, my cocktail was the first arcade cab I bought 15 years ago. I love the vector glow, the simple sound effects, and the pure gameplay that makes it a stone-cold classic. Arcade royalty. Royalty, indeed. Talking Mark- like about Chris CMP, yes. when I went to his little meet a while back, he had a version on the Vectrex that someone's making. Yeah, It's a really close game. It looks very similar to the arcade, but it's in a vertical orientation. Because the yeah. Vectrex is vertical. It is really good, though, mate. It's so good. Excellent. Oh, brilliant. Mark H has said, a cold and calculated game and a beautiful vector, crisp, clear graphical display. This is another cab I own. Um, I've had three different ones in my time. An upright, now in its keep at the Four Quarters Arcade Bar, my first cabaret, and another cabaret that I now own and will not be getting rid of. It's mine. It's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. It's staying there. I've learnt my lesson. I have Deluxe PCB in it at the moment because it shares the same pinout. Very, yeah. very similar game. Uh, as normal asteroids broke down, I just I do prefer deluxe, but the original is still very very awesome. Mm, I love it. I love it. Did I you like know, deluxe. But... I read a piece years ago about asteroids was supposed to have had a, a, a color upgrade, so yeah. that the rocks would be different colors, and when you got killed, you know you sort of blast into pieces and it fades away. That was done in different colors. It'd be really mm. interesting to see that. I mean, a color asteroids would be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, you've got Space Duel, haven't you? That's, that's a very similar game, yeah. But imagine just mm. normal asteroids in colour. That'd be brilliant. 
Even with mm. an overlay, like a Vectrex overlay, I think it looked pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, Star- doesn't Starcastle have an overlay where the... It does, and it works really well for that game. Because it's a circular kind of... The, the middle is one colour, and then there's a band of colour around yeah, it. Yeah, around the it? different yeah. parts. There's different areas you shoot, there's different bands. And when I first played it, it, it fooled me for a second. I thought it was a colour vector, because it mm. looked so good. When you sort of look to one side, you can see the white underneath it. But yeah, it's really good. Hi, this is Phil Nez for Life, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about why I believe Asteroids should be in the top 50 and uh, why I am passionate about restoring and repairing uh, Asteroids as a game. So, yeah, let's talk about the gameplay. Uh, it's an awesome game. You know, really simple game mechanics, really addictive. Rotate left and right, thrust fire. What more do you need apart from hyperspace, which by the time you've gone to press it, you've, you've died anyway, so forget about that. Four buttons for control and uh, no joystick. It's just very, very simple to interact with it. And as a, a cab, you know, it's quite it's quite imposing as a cab. It's sort of, rather than leaning backwards like a modern cab would, it leans forwards, so you have to sort of get yourself into it, get your face into it. And uh, with the phosphorus glow from a, a vector monitor, you know, it's burning at your eyes. You, you feel like you're really surrounded by the cab. It, it embraces and engulfs you as you play. And as well as that, as well as the simple, you know, pew, pew, pew and the, the phosphorus and everything, you've got the, the constant thump, thump, thump going on in the background. And that that combination of it getting faster and faster and faster as you're clearing off the screen and that, that constant thump, you know, it makes you the adrenaline start going. And yeah, it really, it really grabs the imagination. You know, suddenly a, a small UFO will come on the screen and, you know, it's the one of the little ones, you've got to quickly get it, get rid of it. Ah, ah. And it's a game. It's just, yeah, it's great. Um, so simple, so addictive, um, and personally, I, I, I prefer the original over the uh, over the the deluxe version with the rotating uh, asteroids and the the chasers or whatever you call them. I, I just prefer the original. There's something about it that's that, that I you know that I love. Um, as a as far as the the cab goes, you know it's simple and black. The you got the side art looks amazing with the huge ship and the the space scene. Uh, I believe the artwork's been silk screened rather than stencil on it and you got this yeah this great control panel on the front really blocky colors and quite missile commandy you know it's all very control and it's nice it's a, it's a great cab solid yeah there's what more can i say about it the gameplay is great great cab awesome game obviously it did well back in the day in the golden era and um Atari did very well out of it so why do i like it now well you know i'm 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 a child from the 80s i, I didn't play this back in the day but something something about it has caught my attention that has meant that I've got the cab, I'm repairing the boards now. And um, I feel like, uh, well, I guess for me, um, when I started getting involved with the, uh, cent- the Cambridge Centre of uh, Computing History, we had an event there, Arcade, and we had some good repairers come over to help repair their asteroids. And Gudler Martin came down and he uh, brought his fluke and he brought his all his equipment. He set up a vector test rig. He plugged the game in, and we systematically went through and fixed it and got the game back up and running. And I thought from that moment, yeah, you know what, that's something I want to do. And so I bugged Martin for all the information I could, and then I went about building my own vector test rig at home. You know, I've got quite a big office space, uh, an area where I can sit down, repair boards, and another area where I can put the cabs and, uh, you know, stare at all my games and stuff like that. So the, I guess the thing about repairing asteroids boards is they're very, they're very simple. They're like the, the mini of uh, the arcade world. Everything's in TTL. Everything is very, it's all in small bits. There's nothing overly complicated about it. It's just a, you know, CPU, ROM, RAM, 
TTL for everything, including all the sounds, and then the vector section. And it's a it's just a joy to to fix and to repair. You put the, the game in, you turn it on, you see an issue like there's no sound, and then you systematically go through the schematics and try and find out which uh, ISC is broken. Now I'm looking at the schematics right now and in the printed form, and it covers four A1 sides of paper. It's huge. Um, but what's great about it is, is it all it's all clearly written out. Atari really described every section. There's huge paragraphs on everything about the, the vector generator and the the memory for vectors and the vector timer and the position counters, and it's great. Um, if, if you see an issue, you can basically systematically find it using these sheets. Now, there's a few things there that you know you get stuck, and someone hopefully online will tell you how to fix it or will give you a clue, and then you can go through. And as long as you've got a working board to compare against, most of the time, yeah, you can hunt these uh, these issues down. Um, I've, I've got a I've got an oscilloscope on my desk, which is what I'm using to display. And yeah, I've got a, a I've also got a vector monitor under my desk, but I just never set it up yet. So I'm using the oscilloscope for testing as well as display. It's, I'm using it both, and I'm happy to do that. But it's a bit of a pain to flip between the two. But that's something I'm living with. I've got a stack of about five or six Asteris boards. Some from guys on the forum I'm repairing for. Some I've already shown out. You know, I've fixed and got them back out the door and back into circulation. And it's 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 really there's something really rewarding about getting a board. It's completely dead, and systematically going through and fixing it bit by bit by bit by bit until finally you've got a perfect board that you can ship back out again. And I'll continue to do that as I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just enjoying asteroids at the moment as a as a repair thing. Yeah, that's that's my focus on the hobby. Some people might think that's sad. You know, I'm not really a gamer; I'm more of a repairer. But let's focus back on asteroids. It's definitely worthy to be in the top 50. It's an awesome game, great cab, an experience uh, and a joy to play, and probably something that everyone wants in their in their collection. Mm. Next, kids, we have The Mighty Tempest. Todd Thompson has put, When I first caught sight of this Atari masterpiece at my Games People Play Arcade, I was mesmerised by its phantasmagorical colour vectors that made all of the games around it appear bland in contrast. Still as good today as it was then. Can I congratulate you on saying the word phantasmagorical correctly? Uh, yes, go I on thought I was going to, You did. I, oh, th- I, think, you. I thought you were going to get it completely wrong. You did really well. <laughs> it's a long well word. Well done. I'm good with words. My little, no, my little clever sailor. I'm good with words, me, sometimes. Mark H reckons this game draws you in. Into the web of the temp. Yeah, into the... The tunnel of spiders and things. Yes. Mm. This is like Centipede for me. A game I really like, really love the Cabaret Cabinets. It's the same shape as a Centipede. And I played Chris Parsons one again recently, and he's got a really nice cab. It looks so lovely. I nearly stole it. He was, yeah. watching, he was watching me when I went. I couldn't steal it. Yeah, really good. It's one of the... This and Black Widow are the only colour vector games I like to have. Mm-hmm. Because I think I think the color vector monitors break down quite a bit, and yeah. I would put up with it for this game or or Black Widow. A cabaret next to my centipede would look dreamy. I like it, but I'm not very good at it. I've never been very good at it. I like it though. Me neither. Greetings, ten pencers and community. Jeff from No Quarter here to contribute to Sean and Victor's top fifty video games ever with a certified classic, a game more addictive than cocaine laced marzipan. Tempest. 
The graphics are pure Euclidean geometric delights. The scaling effects are mesmerizing. Even the attract mode is brilliant. The zapper and super zapper are your only tools to ward off flippers, tankers, spikers, and dreaded pulsars, which ride the rails and electrocute whole sections of the playfield. The playfields are distinct and wondrous patterns, 16 levels in all, comprised of 16 segments each. These levels, as a set, repeat in difficulty each time they are cycled through, whereupon the webs become different colors. The first 16 levels are blue, then red, followed by yellow, cyan, invisible, where the webs are rendered black to match the background of the screen, and finally green. I love Tempest for the visual elements. It's indelibly etched in my mind. It looks and feels like nothing else in the arcade before or since. Tempest gameplay is frenetic. Its synapse-exhausting gameplay, ineluctable razor-sharp vectors, assault the player with a kaleidoscope of luminous, cascading electric death. It is dazzling. The encoder wheel, or spinner, controller is a unique control scheme. Very responsive, completely immersive, and brilliantly executed. It utterly complements the feel of this game. In contrast with the stunning visuals, the sounds are more spartan. They're a bit plinky and on the harsh side. However, the one-up noise effect is charming, and I've used it for my mail notification for several years. My favorite memory of this game is playing in a neighborhood arcade, circa 1984. I was having an awful game, and eventually was crushed and stepped aside for an older, more experienced kid who lit the game up, and went all the way up into the cyan-colored levels. He finished his game and took off abruptly. I jumped back on the machine, and utilizing the skill step feature, lost all my men, but actually finished the level he'd achieved, for a huge point bonus, and I got to enter all my initials on the leaderboard for the first time ever. As this epic moment was unfolding, a girl I fancied in my class walked by with her friends and, I swear, watched me as I hit enter, recording my achievement. Tempest commands the player's respect. It's right up there in the hierarchy of great games. Its equals are the likes of Defender and Robotron, crippling, uncompromising, intense, and humbling experiences all. Ask any arcade geezer, as Tenpence has done herein, to list their top games of all time. Tempest will make this list every occasion, and its tops on mine. In closing, keep up the brilliant efforts on the podcast, lads. We all thoroughly enjoy your show. In next, the next one on our list, say it I love properly. this. Say it, it is, it is the sequel to Galaxian called Jailager. Galager. Galager. Gallagher. Scott Hattle has put. Scott has put one of our very one of the very first arcade games I can think of when my mum used to go bowling and give me a couple of dollars worth of quarters to blow on this gem. Shall we just say now it's Gallagher, everyone? Don't matter. Don't no. It, it... Don't matter. <sighs> Gallagher. <laughs> yes. Uh, you see these cabs everywhere in America. Everywhere. Mm. Don't see many over here in the UK. I only know one in the UK. I think Davo's got one. And a great, colourful, fun game. But I prefer Galaxian. 
its successors, its successors are also really cool. Gallagher 3 or Gap Plus and Gallagher 88 is a great game. Lovely looking cabinet, Gallagher 88 as well. Mm. I do like a Galaxy and a Gallagher next to each other. Look lovely because they're the similar cabs. Yeah. That looks really nice together. But yeah, I'm not surprised about this game. Very, very popular game. One of the staples of the arcade. I think it's okay. I think it starts a bit slow and boring, but once once the difficulty picks up, it gets pretty good, I think. Yeah. Next one up we've got is a favourite of Mr. Holly. Yes. Gyrus. I love this. You love a bit of Gyrus. Yeah. So, Rog69. I remember playing this for the first time on a school trip to Solihull. Let me do this in the proper accent. I remember playing this for the first time on a school trip to Solihull Ice Rink, and I was blown away by the sound and gameplay. Brilliant game and still my all-time arcade fave. I do hope so, that Rog69 is from Solihull. Sorry, Rog. Sorry, Andrew Hannay. A game I used to play in the Students' Union with a great soundtrack. Oh, the sound of the music is great, isn't it? It's one of, the, one of a few of the first stereo games. Mm. Music is brilliant on that game. It's really, really good. Especially got a nice, loud, thumpy bass in there as well. Awesome. Do you know how many sound chips it's got? 500. I was going to say quite a lot, yeah. Yes, maybe three. I was, was going to have a guess, but yeah, Lots. very good. Uh, Rolly Retro, the music, the rotating gameplay. Such a great shooter. Yes. Will TM, inspired by Gallagher and Tempest maybe, but better than both in <gasps> my opinion. Oh, strong, strong opinions. I would agree with that. Again, one I'm not great at, but love the music, the blasting, the overall gameplay, but I do not like the cabinet of this game. I really don't. Mm. It's an ugly bugger and no mistake. Really, they're really sort of upright in your face, aren't they? The glass is very angled, very square to you. And you, yeah, you put your hands underneath the display almost. Yeah, I really don't like the cabinet. It's the same, similar shape to a, a millipede European cab. Yeah. And I think there's a few others. I think maybe some of the Century games. I think a Track and Field comes in one of these as well. Yeah, mm. not not too keen on the cab at all. But yeah, really like the game though. I wish it was another one I wish I was really good at. It is a pleasure to play with a proper stick with a Monroe stick. Oh, yeah, the Monroe stick, the rotatey, rotatey, spindly, spindly, spirally one. Hey, everybody, over there across the pond, this is Jimmy G of the Pie Factory podcast. Uh, I was asked by uh, Vertvik Viper and Sean Holley, Sean Holley, to uh, talk for a moment or two about Gyrus. Oh, Gyrus, yeah. No, uh, Gyrus, one of my favorite games. Um, I don't know what really hooked me on it. It's uh, it's similar to that game uh, that is the sequel to Galaxian that everybody but me mispronounces. Uh, yes, I'm talking about Galaga. and um, But the difference is it's kind of in a circle like Tempest. And that gives a, an advantage in the fact that uh, there's no corners for you to get trapped in. So uh, if you get killed by something, you can't blame the corners of the screen. You blame your own damn self. Uh, can I say that? Danked. Mm. But, um, yeah, so the object is to get from Neptune and all get back to your home planet of Earth. Like every three or four warps, there is a, once you, you reach the planet, and then you get to a, uh, a bonus stage, which you get to shoot all of the enemies. They have, have specific patterns, and they never change in those, sound, in those rounds. And you get, I think it's uh, 40,000 points, bonus points, if you, uh, if you get all the... Uh, Get all the, the ships in the bonus round. I don't remember, but uh, but it's got the, the visuals are excellent. The challenge is up there, and it's uh, got some back music in there. 
So yeah, if you uh, so if you really want to listen to uh, Box Toccata and Fugue in D minor, and this is not the only arcade game that has it, this is the game for you. And remember, when you're listening to Ten Pence, it's never more than three warps to Uranus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next one is one you may have heard of: Space Invaders. Space who? Invaders from space, the little green men. Yes. Roger sixty nine has put one of the first arcade games I ever played. I think that's true for a lot of us. Really, it was my first one I ever played. Me too. Me too. I think. Anyway, my dad would make my brother and I share a credit. He steered and I fired. It, it took my brain a long time to adjust to playing it on my own. Uh, Stuart Time Warp. Technically, they're games I like more, but this is one I just like going back to any time I see it somewhere. Mm. J69 has put my dad's favourite game, and I grew up playing it because of him. Benson Rad. I was very late to the party with this game, but I really feel for its simplicity and addictiveness, so much so I had to have one. And he... Listen, number four has got a Taito trim line of this, which I really, really want. Mm. What can I do to bribe him to let me buy it off of him? I don't know. Have you got any dirt on him? Not really. Can you make some up? Can make some up. Yeah. He, 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 he farts in crisp bags and, and, <laughs> and keeps it in his cupboard, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's not bad. TWB is put, this was the first game I ever played. The local fish and chip shop had it installed, and whenever I had cash as a kid, I would be hanging around my local chippy. Some chips and some invaders, please, sir. Absolutely. Why not? It was the first arcade game I ever played, too. They had it in the Sleepy Sausage Roadside Cafe in Daventry. Uh, Loved this as a kid, as I still do now. If I had room in this little area I'm in, which hopefully is going to change in the new year. I have a bigger room. Uh, I'd love a Taito Upright with a multi-invaders kit in it so I can play variations of Space Invaders and Lunar Rescue. Oh, Great yes. game on the same hardware. I've been trying for a while to get the Taito Trimline Cabaret version. I'm watching you, Benson Rad. <laughs> Lunar Rescue is one that hasn't made this list, but it's one of my top in my top twenty. Easy, I love that game. Yeah. Anyway, we've done Lunar Rescue and Space Invaders, and a lot of its uh, similar games we touched on were done on podcast twenty five. Here's Stuart Tracy, owner of the Time Warp Arcade, talking about Space Invaders. To this day, without a doubt, Space Invaders holds its head up high as one of the best arcade games ever made. Its strength was in its simplicity. You didn't have to learn any complex move or find any secret areas. You could just look at the game and you understood exactly what you had to do. There was nothing hard or secretive about it. But even though it was easy to understand, it wasn't easy to play. And every time you died, you felt like you wanted another go. It didn't feel unfair. You always thought that you could do another 100 points next time, clear the second wave, clear the third wave, and so on and so on. One of my first gaming memories was in fact Space Invaders. I remember playing it on the Atari 2600 at home as a treat. And then years later, when we got to the mid 80s, when I was allowed to go to the arcades with friends or with family, I would always home in on Space Invaders because they understood it. I remember trying other games, playing them for 30 seconds, having the game over and not having a clue what had just happened. Space Invaders didn't do that. You played it and it was fun. You didn't walk away disappointed. 
What makes Space Invaders so great now is the fact that it has lasted through the ages. Everybody recognises the Invader. Everyone understands the game and it's all ages still enjoy it. We get a lot of children in the arcade through children's parties or family visits and they won't play the old stuff. Nothing from the 80s really attracts them. They'll play the pool tables, maybe the newer racing games and the shooting games, but they will play Space Invaders, either the original version or we've actually got Space Invaders 91 in the arcade. And they enjoy it because they understand it. And that's what makes Space Invaders so great. It's lasted through the ages. Anyone can play it. Anyone can understand it. And it's just fun. And that's the bottom line of any game. You have to enjoy it. Yes! Okay, the winner in this category, remember it's fixed screen shoot-em-ups where the scrolling is not prominent, is, is the mighty... This is definitely an arena game, isn't it? Yeah, Robotron. Robotron, Robotron 2084. 2084. Yes. This week in Robotron... Mark K has put, even more brutal than Defender, but the satisfaction of a cleared wave is worth it. Mr. Tronads. We didn't have one in our local arcade, so I never got to experience the wonder and frantic pace of this wonderful game. Jason Ozolins, hope I got that right. Another piece of Eugene Jarvis insanity, parent to many nifty PC gaming offspring. Yeah, there's a lot of indie games that have sort of copied the twin stick premise of this. Absolutely, why not? Uh, Love twin stick shooters, and this is the granddaddy of them all. The sequels are awesome too. Uh, this started a love of twin-stick shootery for me, ending with Geometry Wars 2 on the Xbox 360 being one of my favourites. I think this, for me, is way better than Defender, mm. as you can get into it a lot easier, and it doesn't have the daft control panel. A cabaret machine would also look good in my arcade, don't you reckon? Yeah, you want but, all cabarets, don't you, really? Yeah, but nice I haven't that. got £2,000 to, to buy one, oh, because they're very expensive, expensive, the Robotron cabarets. Oh. They're probably the most popular one, I reckon. Hey guys, this is Jason from Delusionals Arcade on YouTube. I just wanted to share a little uh, tidbit I was asked to do it, so sure, why not? So uh, the game I'm going to be talking about is Robotron. It's actually a really cool twin-stick shooter game by Williams. So going back, I'm actually going to jump right into it and go back um, in college in the 90s. Um, I actually played a game called Smash TV. It's also by Williams. It's a twin-stick shooter as well, but it's co-op. And I remember as a kid... Uh, playing Robotron in the arcade and I mean I kind of hated the game because it just ate your quarter it was like within 30 seconds or less I was dead (laughs) and I didn't really understand the concept of the game there wasn't really anyone around uh, to kind of coach me into it so uh, you know I eventually just kind of forgot about it and then college came and I said hey you know here's a game you know my friend said hey check this out Smash TV It was really funny and comical it really got you into it so, you know, we started playing, and then every day we kept going back, and then before you know it, man, we actually beat the game. It must have taken us at least $20 and quarters, but we could say we did it. So I really liked the game, and after that, you know, I always wanted to play it. Uh, fast forward, I guess, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years, um, I headed to my buddy Lance's place. Uh, he's actually uh, one of the co-founders of RetroWare TV. So he had like a basement arcade, you know, which is unheard of at the time, and I went to his house, and he had, you know, a machine, a main machine, and he had Robotron on it. So he said, check this out, and we played, and then before you know it, I mean, I found myself sweating when I was playing the game, it was so intense, it was really cool, I said, man, this is just like Smash TV, only more intense, you know? So I kind of got into it a little bit more, and then decided at that point, I said, alright, I have to build myself some sort of main cabinet in order to do this. So I played it on main for a while using micro switches and stuff like that, um, and then eventually I did get a Smash TV cab, going back to that, with uh, the Dominic's 8 sticks, which is like a Wyco alternative. And then, you know, I really liked how it felt, you know, shooting and moving with those uh, leaf switches. 
So I said, all right, you know, let me go up another level. So I was starting to search around for a Robotron cab, uh, but they are a little pricey and they're hard to find. Um, so I did acquire a Defender and I ended up trading that for a guy who had a uh, multi-Williams in a uh, Stargate cab. I had micro switches again, but you know, I still have to upgrade those. Um, but yeah, so I recently, this is about maybe like a month ago I got this game and I'm finally really getting into it. And I actually went back to my MAME cab and I do horrible in MAME compared to this. So uh, it's really cool that I actually got this cab and I can really practice a lot. And I really, once I put the uh, Dominic sticks in or even Wyco's, you know, and I find them, I think it's gonna be really, really uh, instrumental in getting higher scores in this thing. But for now, like I said, I love this game. And if it weren't for Smash TV, I guess, I guess I wouldn't have gotten into it as uh, much. I have friends actually who still do not like the game. And I'm really adamant to show them like, look, this is one of the best games ever made uh, by Eugene Jarvis and the crew and stuff. So I guess that's about it. Hope you guys enjoyed the story. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll talk to you soon when I get higher scores. So that is the fixed screen shoot 'em up category. Now we're going on to a really good one. I like it. I like it. I like it. It's so called do I. the scrolling shoot 'em up category, which is any type of shooter featuring scrolling, scrolling backgrounds as a way of showing progress through the game. I like, like to call them scrolling schmoops. 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 Aye. First on our agenda, the mighty Star Force. <laughs> I'm glad this has made the list. I really am. So am I. Chris Binary Star has put simple gameplay but packed with secrets that keep you coming back for more. Yes, indeed. One joystick, one button, a zillion bullets. A great simple shooter. Really test your shmup skills. I'm still after a PCB of this. I've got a bootleg, which isn't quite working. I've got issues with it. We did this way back on podcast 26. <laughs> Hi, it's Garen, a.k.a. Retro Smupper from the RGDS podcast. And I'm really happy to spend a few minutes letting you know about a great game from my youth that's been really influential uh, on my gaming choices since then, really. That game is Star Force, and it was released in 1984 by Techon. It is a vertical shooter par excellence. The gameplay is simple but addictive. You play as Final Star, and you are fighting against the evil Gordis Empire. Your fights take place over floating islands in space. You have to destroy both ground-based and flying targets, and the game has got over 20 levels. Each level ends in a boss fight against the letter of the Greek alphabet. The boss is a simple platform with two turrets and a Greek alphabet letter that winds its way towards you in its own platform, and that's what you need to shoot to get to the next level. There's only one power-up in the game, and you have to destroy it, collect the ship that it drops, and that increases your firepower. The game has got lots of little bonus and nuances, some hidden, some are quite open. A couple of the hidden ones are the end of level boss's direction can be premeditated by your store. So if your score are in the hundreds or even, the platform will move right. If it's odd, the platform moves left. And you can also pick a 50,000 bonus points up for how you kill the mid-level boss. You need to position your ship just so you're underneath the centre part of the enemy as it assembles wait for it to flash right then shoot the centre part several times and the enemy will be destroyed and you'll be awarded a 50,000 point special bonus. On the ground you will see green question marks uh, at times of time and levels. Shoot as many of those as you can and you can be ordered a one up. As you go through the level you need to shoot the yellow blocks and there's two styles of those. At the end of a level 
you will get bonuses for those that will increase your score. I think the graphics of this game are bright, really well drawn, and there's a variety of enemy ships. The backdrops are quite simple, but they're engaging you to concentrate on the platform-based uh, enemies, as well as the flying enemies towards you. The sound's really good, the music's catchy, especially when you know when you get into the middle of a boss and the end of the boss. So I suppose what makes it great for me is I've been playing this game since it was released in 1984 when I was 16 with my mates were crowded around the arcade cabinet. So undoubtedly there's loads of nostalgia in this game for me. But for me it's the fact that I've come back to this game year after year and it's not a cheap game. Practice does make progress in it and it has stood the test of time. Um, if you've got access to it or MAME, just try it. It is a fantastic game. And for me, it's one of the standout shooters of its generation. This is a vertical shooter with pure gameplay at heart. So that's why it makes it one of the top arcade games in my arcade life. And I really hope that you like it too. Thanks. One of my favourites of all time, this game. I so love it. In fact, a lot of my favourites are in this category. Yeah, the, ne so. the, the next one, which I just... Maybe in the last two years, I've just completely fallen in love with it, man. Moon Patrol. Moon Patrol. There's no listener comments. No one's bothered to comment on this. Come on, lads. We'll get some audio. But I love this game. I've, I've talked about it a lot. It's just something about it that brings me back to it. I don't know why. I play it almost every time I go to arcade clubs still. That's because you're an enigma, Mr. Holly. What's that? Yes, enigma. Like, like the code? Yeah. I used to like Moon Patrol, but after playing it properly for the podcast, when we sort of got competitive at it, I learned to dislike it. Stupid <laughs> fat wheel buggy. I've got a, P a bootleg PCB that I've had for ages. Keep trying to sell it or pump it off to you, which you have actually got. Yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> no problem. Um, yeah. Just keep hold of it. Stupid game. It has really nice looking stenciled art on the cab as well. Yeah, really nice. A lot of the uh, the early Williams games with the stenciled art. I really like those. Defender, Robotron, this, Bubbles, all got similar artworks on the side. Yeah, the marquee and the control panel are just fantastic. They look so nice. What What did I hear you say, Mister Holly? When did we do that? We did it on podcast fifty nine. Podcast fifty nine. It. I think you beat me on that by loads. Oh. Oh, How many yes. times can you loop it now? I'm getting up to twice. Wow. I can I can do it once, but hang on. Now you do the first level, then you do the championship level. So I can do that, and then the championship course, as it's called, just repeats. Oh, so right. it stays the same, and the only random element you've got is the attacking aliens from above. Everything else stays the same. Oh, okay, because you actually get a, a, a paint job upgrade after level one, don't you? He goes a nice red colour. You get a, p a pink daft buggy to a red one. Mm. Racing red. Here's Vic Sage from the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast talking about the excellent Moon Patrol. Hi, friends. I'm here to talk a little about 1982's Moon Patrol by Williams Electronics, a classic arcade title that I was quite enamored with in my youth and still love today, thanks in no small part to a little science fiction film in 1977 called Star Wars. I was totally gaga over anything that had a connection to space. Moon Patrol naturally has a space theme, so when I first encountered it at my local showbiz pizza, a fabled arcade of my youth, after inserting that first token, I was hooked. 
Moon Patrol is a science fiction themed scrolling shooter. There's just so much to love about Moon Patrol. The design of your moon buggy, for example. A six-wheeled exploration vehicle that is capable of hopping over obstacles, like varying sizes of space boulders and moon craters. Some of those boulders can be nimbly leapt over, but others require the player to use the moon buggy's front cannon, which also triggers the anti-aircraft weapon on its roof, which, of course, is useful for taking out the various flying foes, who like nothing more than dropping missiles on your vehicle, or, in some cases, hurling powerful explosives in your path that will open up new craters in the surface that must be jumped over if you don't want to lose a life. Throw in threats like landmines, tanks, rocket cars, and even carnivorous plant life. All the while attempting to reach 26 checkpoints before your time runs out or your lives are spent. I think you can see now clearly that Moon Patrol is a challenging game. Furthermore, while the colorful sprites and futuristic background images are pleasing, it also has a simple but amazing theme. leaving Showbiz Pizza every Saturday afternoon, when the weather was nice, I would attempt to recreate the thrilling feel of the arcade game in my neighborhood. Not with just the home ports of Moon Patrol, but with my huffy dirt bike. In those days, my city was pretty rural, so I would set up obstacles and steer my bike, although in my mind it was the Moon Buggy, of course, past all of those dangers. Moon Patrol is a solid game. More so, it's a classic title from the golden age of arcades. It holds up today and is just as thrilling as that first time I stepped up to the machine and pressed the start button for player one. Very nice. Next we have, oh, possibly, it's got to be, well, it's top three, I think, for me, this game. Scramble. So, 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 so good. Out of this lot here, this is my favourite, out of this section, I think. So, we've got TWB saying, when it came down to my last ten pence and deciding which machine to put in before the long walk home, it was usually this one it went in. Exactly. Tony, Edge T2000. This was one of the games outside the cafe at my local swimming pool, beach day or baths, but but they were in clone or cocktail cabinets, all these games, nothing original. There are times, even today, when I play those games, I get a whiff of chlorine. <laughs> nice. Funny how the mind associates things with different senses. So there was quite a few games that he played, and Scramble was one of them at the swimming baths. I get that same thing with Frogger and Bosconian, because two swimming baths in my life have had those games in. I used to play yeah. them as a kid. So yeah, one in, in, in near rugby, when I was a little kid, when Frogger was probably new, I used to play that in a wooden proper cab. I remember it being wooden and quite big. And the one at my local swim baths in Weymouth, which is behind my house, when I was a teenager, before I lived in that house, I used to play Bosconian there. And I think that was an original cab as well. That's quite rare to see. So, mm. yeah. It's a great game. Such a brilliant game. Yeah, easy top three for me. I have an original Konami PCB with Phil Murray High Score kit permanently in a sub-electro ISIS cab, which is just over there. I was playing it earlier. I've been playing this game ever since it came out and I have no intention on stopping now. It took me 26 years to eventually loop it. Mm. And today I've looped it 10 times in one credit. I even bought a homebrew cart on the 7800, Atari 7800. It's really good. Even the 2600 version, homebrew version, is really good as well. It's a shame the follow-up, Super Cobra, it's an awful game. How did they manage that? 
And I've, I've played Scramble, and then because I got so into it, I just wanted more Scramble. So I've played all the clones in MAME. Some of them have slightly different backgrounds. Yeah. But if they made another version of Scramble with different backgrounds, just Scramble++ plus plus or something, yeah. I'd love it. I'd love it. It'd be nice to see, wouldn't it? We did that mm. on Podcast 75, and this is where you, you young upstart, I was beating you hands down at it, and I came up to your house for a weekend. We was going to Arcade Club. And I brought you a joystick because you said oh, I couldn't get on with the joysticks in, in your Lordsvale cab, which is like a black, generic, bouncy thing. And I said, yeah. oh, I'll bring you a Sanwar up or a Samitsu, I can't remember what it was, because it's a bit looser, your sort of style. Yeah. Slack, I call it. <laughs> your style, slack. And I put it in for you, and we put, I brought my original Scramble board, so we have a couple of games of Scramble, and you rinsed me. You got like 300 and something thousand. I was like, what? This is gratitude for you. I come up here, I bring you a joystick, and you. Do that to me. I actually got into the zone. I forgot I was playing, just chatting along to you. I know, thought, it was amazing. Hang on, I've looped it 14 times here. Yeah, it was like, was it 14 in the end? I think so. 300,000? So. Because my best ever is 210,000. That was after we did the podcast. And that's 10 times round. So I'm just snapping at your heels a bit there. I need to get a bit further. But I've not managed to do it that well. I can usually loop it four or five times on a play. Maybe 100,000, mm. something like that. And then sort of die off yes such a good game i'm so glad i can loop it and i'm actually quite good at it now Mm, the real challenge is the tougher version where you have to after about the second loop you have to get every fuel dump or you run out of fuel and you crash that's the third one i think on the third one at the very end when you actually do the game you can't survive when you've done it you kill it off and you just crash because you've got such little amount of energy left Mm. to do it so on the first two i think you can miss it and it'll go around a little loop again, and you do it again, and you can get it. But on, yeah. the, on the third one, and then on from there, if you miss it, the last baddie, you're dead. You've had it. It's a great game. Awesome. Next up, we have, in this category, scrolling shooters, Gradius or Nemesis, depending on where you live. This is not my cup of tea. It's a really? one-life game. Yeah, I've never really got into it. This is one of the follow-ups to Scramble. I know. Anyway, Danny Frothmeister says, the first and best shooter using this type of power-up system. I'm not keen on the power-up system. I'm what? not keen. I don't know. Just a bit fiddly, in it? Oh, Shawnee, 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 Shawnee. Uh, no. <laughs> we'll have to have a word after about this. I'm not having this. I know people love it, obviously, because it's on this list. Mm-hmm. Pete Han says, best horizontal shmup of the 80s. You cannot, mm. you cannot argue with Pete Han. I know. Mm-hmm. Mm, Rolly Retro says, I loved every minute of this vertical shooter. The power-up mechanic was so good. Um, that's, don't know. You and, d- it's, you d- and it's a horizontal shooter, oh, yeah. Mr. Rolly Retro. Oops, I wonder if he's... Oh, did if you I write f- that down wrong? I might have done. Oh, dear. Any, anyway. Oh, dear. But the when you die, you back with a very slow ship with a pea shooter speed. Uh, no, slow ship with pea shooter bullets. And I'm not keen on it. I don't. I'm not so keen. And it's a, it's a a shooting where you have to learn where to position yourself. It's a memory game. It is. Um, but one thing I do like about it: when you do get killed, you, you're normally left with one speed up. So you're not as slow as you think. Mm. It always leaves you with one shoot with the speed up, and you can get out of it again. And this is a game I'd like to live. I've nearly done it on the PC Engine. The PC Engine version is very similar, and I must have to try the the arcade version a bit more. Maybe we'll do it one day. You know, that is a good game to play. Mm. Yeah, I do like it. I mean, I played this in the arcade when it was current, uh, and I played the home version on the Commodore 64, which was very, very good, I remember. 
Uh, I had it on the Game Boy, played the sequels. What's, what's not to like? The music never gets boring. Yeah, that's good. Such a good tune. Really like that. Out of this series, I would say I'd like... I like Salamander 2 best, I think, out of that kind of series. Oh, really? Some of the later Gradius on the PS2, I think some of them were in the arcade, like Gradius 4 and 5, they're yeah. really nice polished games. Mm. Yeah, very similar to the originals, but just nicer looking things. No, the original Nemesis, I always called it Nemesis, because that's what we got in the arcade, but I think that's the Japanese version? Not sure. I remember, but I remember Nemesis more than Gradius, actually. Mm. And it just screams mid-80s to me. It screams it. All the graphics and, you know, the sort of scaling effects and the music and the pew-pews. Really like it. I'd like to <laughs> loop it. Uh, can't quite do it, but I'm getting there on the PC Engine version. So a bit more skills. Mm. Darren Hatton could do this with his eyes closed. It's amazing watching him play this. Yeah, it's very he's good. He's really it? good at it. I'll have to get some hints from him, maybe. Here's Paul McCaskey from the Game Music Guide M podcast talking about Gradius. Gradius, or Nemesis as it was known here, is one of my absolute favourite games. It must have been something really special at the time given its graphic style and music. It still looks iconic to this day. And Konami of that era were just producing great games and this is one of their best. It's one of those games I'd always try and track down if I was going to the seaside on holiday or if I was visiting a fair. It was just such a fun game to play. And I always liked the power-up system where you collect the capsules that allow you to select which power-up to go for. The options in particular were really impressive to me and at the time. The idea that you could kind of duplicate your ship's power was really cool. One of the biggest complaints is also about the power-up system, that when you die you lose all your weapons and then you're in trouble. But I actually think this is what separates the men from the boys. It's this way you sort of choose which power-ups to get. It's kind of become strategic. Do you go for that speed-up first or the missiles or the lasers? Or do you save up and get an option and duplicate your power? The graphics are great. They've got all the sort of Gradius tropes right in there in the first game, the Easter Island the heads, the boss with the core that you shoot, and they're sort of biomechanical enemies later on in the stages, later stages. And it still looks really well drawn to this day. And finally, something that always makes an impression on me is the music and the sound. It's reasonably primitive in the original Gradius, but it sets up that kind of uh, sound that you get throughout all the Gradius games, and it's got many of those memorable tunes right there in the first game. Gradius is a bona fide classic and it absolutely deserves to be in any top 550 arcade games. It really is a fantastic game. Next we have on our list one of my favourite games of all time that I've only really discovered this year, Juno First. Yep. What a great game. What a fantastic game and quite unusual really, the way you can go backwards and forwards with the scrolling. It's just sublime. It's absolutely fantastic anyway bobby Eddard has put all my best picks are chosen on what do i play most often at arcade club and expos and at home etc this is our good friend bobby Eddard talking about one of his favorite games juno first juno first yeah uh i can remember the second time i played it i can't remember the first time i played it because that was on the 16-1 and i got that and tried every single game on it and it didn't stand out at all. It just didn't make any kind of impression. I didn't remember it when I got to play it the second time. And the second time was at Julian's meet in the Jammer Plus forum, as his meet at his lockup with his arcade thing, which was the first time I met Vic as well, um, playing Donkey Kong and getting tips off Vic. Uh, but the Juno first, the bit that really, really stood out for it for me was when I went up to the cabin. Julian's cab, I think it was a midi, uh, electric coin midi. 
and which I've got one of them in my cellar. But the electrical MIDI, it's got the speaker. If um, I'm thinking it's the right one, it's got the speaker sort of just near your head, about head height kind of thing. And the sound coming out of it was, it was f amazing. Uh, it was like a Williams sound chip. It was just booming out, and it was bassy, and it was right in your face, and it was glorious. And I just fell in love with the game, absolutely. Got home, and then a couple of days later, was playing on the 61 and realised it was on there as well. Uh, give it another play, and then started playing it more and getting into it and working out the bit there, you know, you shoot the dude in the little moon thing and then pick him up and everything's bonus points and it goes mad. And I worked out that basically if you don't shoot anything at all and then get to him, to him, and then go for bonus points, I could rack up, I think I've, I think I've clocked just over 100,000, which is good for me because I'm not a good games player. Uh, and I just can't get further than that. But most of the time when I play it, I end up with absolutely crappy scores because I'm trying not to shoot anything and then I just get slotted by some alien thing that's fired at me and I can't get out of its way. Uh, and that's about it. I can't think of anything else quickly to say because I've got a cat next to me that's demanding attention. And yes, okay, that'll do. I'm off. See ya. Have a good one, chaps. Ooh, forgot to say, this is my first audio submission for any podcast ever, so thank you, Sean, for badgering me. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have done it. I don't want to make a habit of it, because my voice is horrendous. Right, see you later. Am I right in thinking you, you're quite keen on this game, from your description? I was playing it even the other night, and I just looped the first 16 levels, just easy now. 16? Wow. 17 goes back to the first level, so if you get to level 17, you're guaranteed... A pretty decent score, really, because then you can carry on for another like nine or ten levels. And there are a few people that can get over three million on it. So yeah, it must be one of those games where you sort of learn the tactics of it. I'm not so good at that though. Mm, I can get two million. Wow, uh, Jason Ozerlins feels like cross between Top Down Defender and Gallagher. Mm. Jason has it exactly right. An upright defender, but better as it's a fairer game, I reckon. And it's mm. got ace sound effects as well. Really nice, weird sound effects. Lovely to play on a dedicated cab. is a joy. But the button spacings are really bad on a real machine. They're really far apart, aren't they? You've got your fire button and your warp. Yeah, yeah. I I can play it on my little bar top really well because the buttons are so close together. You, you have your finger hovering over the warp at all times and it saves your life so many times. Yeah, yeah. all my, all my games, of the buttons are quite similar spacings. Not about mm. 40 mil between them, I do. That's why I'm making panels. Good. That was on podcast 89. Remember that? Yeah, awesome. Next we have... Now, this is scrolling. I, I call in this a scrolling game because it's into the screen scrolling. In your Sp- face scrolling. Space Harrier, which I do really enjoy. Yeah. Flinster has put, I thought this was slick as hell and a great game to watch people play with big bosses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when this came out in the arcade, everyone was blown away by it because the one we had in, in Weymouth Arcade was the sit-down hydraulic version. Yeah. Oh, so good to play. I, on the machine where you sit on a little sort of static chair and play it, it's not so good. The moving one for me every day, the moving one. It's so brilliant. I mean, it's, just, it's like a little ride in itself, isn't it? Yeah, and the scaling's really, really good. The music's awesome. Like, those, those Sega games at the time were really nicely polished. Welcome to the Fantasy Zone. 
Get ready. Mm. And that's probably one of my favourites of those, you know, out of the Thunderblades and the the outruns and all these you know, scaling dungeon afterburners. Yeah. This is my favourite, I think, easy. Yeah, it was just one. Mm. It was a different theme. It wasn't like a simulator sort of thing. It's just a great game. I love the really wacky creatures in it as well. Like these yes. one-eyed mammoths and all it's that. It's just lot. great. It's a really good game. And we, we played it recently and I've really enjoyed it and I beat my highest score ever on it recently, so that's good. Uh, in that arcade in Weymouth, well, I think a few of them had it actually, there was a guy I went to school with who could complete on one credit all the time and all 18 levels. It was a, a sight to see. It was really good. I'd love a deluxe moving one if I ever had the room so I could get better at it, but I'm not very good at it at all. But I do like throwing myself around in the cab. It's just fun. Can you fit in it, though? Yeah, I fit in it quite nice. I went in one not that long ago, actually. My <laughs> big, long legs do actually reach in. It's quite a long little cab. Uh, space Area Review can be heard on our Podcast 94. You don't want to do this, do you? It's, you don't even like this game. This is 1942. This is a game Mr. Holly is no, not good at. He doesn't like it. He's never liked the game. 1942. I've heard of it. Yeah, this is the one you married on Podcast 37, <laughs> remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. That was yes. good. Yes. You were the vicar. Yes. Uh, Ian Cullen has to say about this very game, I seem to remember that the touring fairs that came to town during the summer always had a 1942 cab. In the MAME era, it was always one of those games I could load up and have a couple of quick goes of. I never really cared how far I got or how much I scored. That all changed a few years ago when I bought the PCB off eBay and really started to appreciate the game for what it is. In my opinion, it's one of the finest vertical, pure shooters there is. There's no cheap deaths, no bullet hell, no screen-filling power-ups. You can clearly see everything on the screen, and if you die, it really is your own fault. Yeah, exactly that. Ed Horse, my favourite shooter, simple and playable. Tron ads. I'm a lot better at this now than I used to be. It's a very satisfying shoot that I can complete. Mm, me another, too. Another, another one, one up guy. Chris CMP, a classic old school shooter. No bells or whistles except the music. <laughs> Just a pure shooting experience with great pixel art and masses of challenge. Played this on the C64 endlessly as well. Yep, I echo Chris's thoughts. Uh, pure game of the Capcom Golden Era. I do like Volgus a bit better. But 42 is a classic and no mistake. Mm. When I play extensively, I do get better. We're my best a little over 300,000 points. But I don't have the mad skills that my compadre, Mr. Holly, has. Pure bullets. There's a podcast by RGDS on the best game of 1984, right? And 1942 wins it. Yeah. Did you fix it? I fixed the scores, yeah. I kept voting for it. But I think it would have won it anyway by the amount of votes it got. Yeah, very popular game. Listen to that one, kids. It's the best game of 1984, and there's a big, there's me rambling on for 20 minutes about 1942, and they, I think they're to physically sedate me, stop me talking about it. Do you know what really baffles me though? Um, puzzles. The podcast, the Pie Factory podcast guys, Sean and Jimmy G, did not like 1942. They preferred 1943, which is a poor man's 1942, sir. Yes, we did talk about that at length. Did we? Did we give them a talking to? We chastised them. Yes. And this is what the disapproving sheep says about that. I agree with the disapproving sheep. Yes. Next, Next one up. Oh, yeah. oh Go on. another favourite. In a cab of mine, this very moment, I played it earlier, Time Pilot. The pilot of time, Jeremy Riley says, I like lots of shooters, but the 360-degree freedom of this one is a little different. 
Yes, Todd Thompson says, I love games that put your ship in the centre. Why there are why are there so few of these type of games? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Phil Nes for life. I feel like I've had a full workout every time I play it. Dislike that, isn't it? Yep. I just I loved this back in the day. I've always liked time, but I've always been quite good at it as well. I mean, even as a little kid, I'm playing quite a few levels of it and may have even looped it as a kid, because there's only like five levels to do. Mm-hmm. The last one's a bit tricky, but yeah, it's, yeah, I think I did it as a kid as well. My PCB is securely in the same cab as Scramble. I got it on a switcher. I've got, I've actually got two Time Pilot PCBs now. Uh, that is now set. It's not going anywhere. I could go a Scramble, then flick a button, and Time Pilot pops up. Ace game. I've loved this game since it came out. Uh, the homebrew game Vector Pilot on the Vectrex is an, also an honourable port. That's great. Which of course I own. I hate the UFOs though. Stupid swirly bullets. It is a fantastic game. It's absolutely brilliant. It's almost perfect in every way. Yep. As we found out a little while ago, uh, Time Pilot 84, the follow-up, is a pretty good game as well. It is. It's it's pretty decent. Can't go wrong with a pilot of time. Yes. Next we have... It had to be on the list. It had to be here. Defender. Yes. Williams Defender. Rog69 has put, I still think this has the best sound of any video game all these years later. Mark K says, difficult to get into, impossible to master. A true genius of game design, and the first game that really allowed the player that feeling of being totally in the zone. In the zone. Zone, zone, zone. Stuart Funhouse, what a futuristic classic. My friends and I were always in awe of this game. Uh, Phil D-Type, except no substitute. None. None. Especially Mayday. That's a really bad version of this. <laughs> yeah. This game is still huge and has a dedicated following. There's a actually a, a well-supported Facebook page called Williams Defenders Players. Williams Defender Players Unite. Huh, and they nice. have over 900 members just talking about Defender. And a bit of Robotron as well and Stargate and that. I'm sure. I mentioned the DAF controls earlier, but joking aside, you do get used to them very quickly. Because you've got an up-and-down joystick on the left with reverse, and on your right hand, you've got thrust on your thumb, thrust, on thrust, your thumb thrust and, and fire. fire, and your thumb. Then uh, underneath that, in the middle, you've got your hyperspace. hyperspace. Yeah. Smart, smart bomb is on a cab to your left somewhere. Yeah, there's, there's a sandwich button, isn't there? Yeah. And I've got a feeling there's, there's a flush as well. Yeah, to yeah, the I'm toilet. Sure. There's a lever, though, obviously. A lever on the back is a flush, isn't it? Yeah, you do get used to the, the controls quite easily, I think. I mean, as a kid, mm. though, used to baffle me. I never used to play it. It's got too many buttons, that one. Got too many buttons, I can't mm. play it. It's impossible. You do, cool get, you do get players it. getting millions, like rolling it and rolling it for hours on end. How do they do it? The game's so fast. Mm. And it's, it's another one of those that's really difficult for me. I do like playing I can get four or five levels, maybe. But it's just so difficult. It is. It's... it's... It's a bit of a Marmite one for me, I'm afraid. I, I play yeah. it a little bit, and sometimes I, fi- I find myself thinking, oh, it's quite, quite enjoyable. And then I shoot all the men by accident and go into hyperspace and get destroyed. Yeah, it's bad, it's bad when those nasty mutants go after you. But mm. this game, it's, these versions of the game around that era in Defend, uh, the Williams era, the sound and visuals are an art form of their own. They're so good. They use the, all the sounds on pinball. The artwork was done by, I think... Uh, Python Angelo and they, he worked for Williams and a lot of games with similar sort of art style it's really really cool nice stuff really enjoy mm-hmm. it but yeah I'm not very good at this game as well it's really nice to watch someone really playing this they seem to do it automatically it's like they're playing like they've been coded to play it 
It's amazing. Mm, it does look cool. Here's a song called Defend Her Defender by Timothy O'Neill's band Octopulse that we were sent, and it's really good. Check this out. The toughest game ever made This quarter is in And now it's time to defend Defend me Defend this next game i have a massive gap in my shooting up knowledge and it's this game me too really very little experience with it but people love it it's got tons of votes it is r-type 
Flinster, Mr. Flinster has put, in my view, no R-Type sequel ever bettered the gameplay of this original version. It was somehow pure and not overly complicated. Yeah, uh, Roger Cantor, it is a perfectly designed shoot-em-up, and it was the game that got me into my obsessive love for the PC engine and then the start of importing Japanese games back in the late 80s, which has not stopped to this day. Oof! Mr. Mooncrest Bootleg Chris has put my favourite shoot-em-up. Awesome gameplay, awesome music. I spent hours playing on the Master System conversion and would always play it when I saw it in the arcades. Uh, Will TM. Simple, hard, but sometimes brooding and rewarding. Now, this was always a poor man's nemesis or gradius to me. I know the shooting mechanics are totally different and original at the time, but I've never got excited with this game, and the price for an original PCB is staggering. Even mm. the PAR-type PCBs, which is an excellent pun name, because these are converted games from another IRM game called Major Title Golf. So I call it PAR-type. <laughs> excellent. Yeah. It's not the same hardware. It can be quite easily converted to R-type 1 and 2. Even those which converted, are expensive nowadays just because people want a, a, an R-type PCB. The PC Engine version is really good, but it comes in two parts. You've got like, two cartridges for that. Right. I'm going to play this a bit at Arcade Club, I think, and see what all the fuss is about. Well, a little while ago, at the Chris CMP meet, he had it in his uh, Electro MIDI. And mm-hmm. some of the people there were playing it really well. They could get on like level four and stuff, and I'd never even seen those levels before. I've never even got past... I think I can do level one. And I've never, like you, I've never really played it. Mm. I do like the mechanics on it, though. It's quite a clever game. But, uh, yeah, I always preferred Gradius for some reason. Here is Retro Rich, Twin Galaxy's world record holder for Viewpoint, Z-Blade and R-Type. I first played R-Type on the Sega Master System. It was one of the first games I got for the console. I remember it being super difficult, but I loved the concept of the aliens, which were a horrific cyborg mix of organism and machinery. The Master System version is a faithful conversion from the arcade, which brings me on to the present, as I actually own an original IRM R-Type arcade board which runs in my video wizard cabinet. I honestly never dreamed I would ever own the arcade game when I was a kid, and it took me quite a while to track down a reasonably priced arcade board. Now I own it, I do not imagine ever wanting to sell it. I love the game so much. The weapon power-up system in R-Type is great, with varied firepower and types of shot. Some of these are better for different parts of the game, so ensuring you have the right one at the right time is part of the challenge. Not to mention the added difficulty of losing all power-ups when you lose a life, making some later levels almost impossible when this happens. The music is another key part of the excitement for me, with catchy tunes which differ as much as the excellent design of each level. My best advice is to learn the patterns of the enemies as they will always appear in the same places each time you play through a level. This is what makes R-Type slightly easier to master than other similar games which are more random in their behaviour. Once you learn these patterns and know where to be on the screen to avoid the enemies, you can concentrate on maximising your score by destroying enemies of higher point value. Another tip would be to learn which weapons work best in each part of the game. Some weapons can drastically increase your chance of survival at key points, and others will allow you to destroy some enemies quicker and thereby increase your score. R-Type is an extremely challenging game, which therefore makes it more satisfying and rewarding once you master it. I know it keeps me coming back for more. Okay, so this is the winner of the oh, scroll. Oh, yes. Scrolling shoot-em-up category. Now, it's a bit loose-term scrolling shoot-em-up for this, but I'm not sure where else we can put it. It is 
Star Wars, the Atari Vector Classic. Color Vector Classic. Yes, well done, Star Wars. You done good, kid. Anyway, Del Griffith, still great to play now, and it was everywhere back in the day, and mostly out of order. (laughs) Not surprising. Uh, Trollnads, most evenings, me and two friends used to timeshare a Star Wars game where we would play for half an hour or so, then hot swap with another player. That means just quickly jumping on. The arcade owners must have not liked how we that little that game took. Not a lot of cash winning that when he was around. Oh, Stuart Funhouses, but I remember huddling around that with many others waiting for our go. The graphics are great, and playing playing it felt like you were in the film. While attacking Adele's Death Star, when Obi-Wan says, let go, Luke, my f- crazy friend Gerald always used to let go of the yoke and crash. What a Gerald. I don't think uh, Obi-Wan was talking specifically to him, was he? Yeah, he does. Foolish boy. Talks to me in dreams. Ross Ross, Star Wars is my favourite movie. Now I can be in that movie. Well, recreate the last chapter at least. Yes, Rolly Retro has put still the best arcade game ever and my most treasured possession. Uh, Nick Silversmurfer, hell, I was an X-Wing pilot and they always got a crowd of kids peering from behind through the smoky perspex. Audio is awesome here. Use the force, Luke. Oh, yes. Nick73, put simply, Star Wars was my childhood. I was absolutely obsessed. It was so easy to buy presents. I was so easy to buy presents for just anything Star Wars, and I'd I'd usually get the figures. Right, for me, this game looks and sounds great, but it's just an on-rail shooter that breaks down a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't even consider having one if I was offered one. I really wouldn't. I can't even get me big knees in the cockpit version anymore either because it's too small. The mm. film is just a good movie to me, and I really don't see how grown-ass people can get so excited about it. It's just a film. And there are better sci-fi films around. Uh, no, there's not. There is. There isn't. It's the best film ever. No, Star Trek, for instance. Babylon 5, Star- they're better. Babylon 5 is good. There's good stories. I mean, Star Wars films are great, don't get me wrong. Mm. I really like them. The ones that sort of released in the, in the 2000s were terrible. The new ones are pretty good, like them. But I can't get obsessed with it. Yeah, I'm not obsessed, but I, I was well into it as a child. But I think the f- it's, a, it's just a classic good versus evil, isn't it? Wrapped up in a, a perfect sci-fi wrapper. Look at this. Look at me doing the wrapper thing. Look. No one can see that, Sean. I'm not even looking at you right now. Okay. But overall, uh, this is the best Star Wars game on any platform, though. It just is. Mm. It is. Mm. It gets very repetitive. Even when I was a little kid playing it, I could do. I could loop the game. I think anyone can. It's very easy to loop. But then it gets yeah. a bit difficult later on. But it's just the same thing over and over again. I know a lot of games, simple arcade games, are this, and that's how they should be. But yeah, I just yeah, I get a bit bored of it. I I like it. I used to really like it when I was younger, but it's sort oh, of. Oh, me too. Yeah, me I've too. I've sort of grown out of it. I think it's it's a nice nice game to play every so often. It's only recently that I've like looped level four and five, I think. I don't think I ever did that when I was younger. Yeah, but they're the same as two and three, aren't they? Nothing much changes. Well, you get that the hard level is the one with everything in it. I think level one you don't have the towers, do you? Yeah, they come later on the towers. Yeah. So level three is, is the actual sort of first level with all the all the background features. Yeah, but what I can't when when you're sort of doing the um the planet run and the harder the level gets, you don't even shoot any, any baddies. You're just shooting the bullets they're firing at. You know, they fire the sort of crystals at you, like crystals. Mm. You're just firing them off to keep them off your shield. You don't even get the baddies anyway. you just got to keep shooting to get rid of them. You can if you're brilliant. I'm not brilliant. No, man. No. Oh. 
Hello, Gordon King here from RGDS Podcast, speaking about why I think Star Wars by Atari in 1983 is one of the greatest arcade games ever. So, being born on the right side of the 70s, I was already smitten with the Star Wars movies. Being released in 1983, I was consumed with the hype over Return of the Jedi, which was released in the same month as this iconic video game. Growing up in a seaside resort, I was lucky enough to see the best of the best arcade games in no fewer than four arcade amusements. I still recall the day when I walked into Johnny's Beachcombers Amusement and was presented with the sit-in version of the system. There were queues of kids anticipating their recruitment into being a rebel pilot. Eventually, it was my turn. I sat in a hard-arse seat and was mesmerised with the internals and the wonderful flight controller I was to use to pilot my ship. Money inserted, I began my experience. The glowing vectors were stunning. I'd only seen them being used in Tempest prior. So, here I go. There was a Death Star in the distance and I was shooting these pesky TIE fighters. Quickly I learned that I had to shoot the onslaught of lasers that were hurtling towards me. The controller was perfectly suited for this. I was doing combinations of trigger button and the top button and multiple presses trying to stop the blasters hitting me. Being the first wave, I was straight down the trenches after this. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was me actually doing something that was easier than Beggar's Canyon back home. There is no arcade game that has given me the same thrill since. It still sends shivers of excitement down my back when I play this. It's truly an iconic moment. Then came the exhaust port. Nailed in my first attempt. This is truly when I appreciate the sounds of the game. The sonic boom from the speakers at either side of my head and the cabinet almost ruptured my skull. The force will be with you always. The music, the speech samples were every bit as important as the gameplay. This was Star Wars and Atari got it right. The game looks no more dated today than it did with my first play. This is truly a timeless piece of arcade gaming. Cheers. This is this is Maze Games. This is going to be a big one. Mm. So the first one we've got here is Mr. Do. Or Mr. <laughs> yeah. Don't, as I like to call him. Yeah. This had quite a few votes. Um, from Pie Factory podcast, Sean. Could have been the perfect Dig Dug sequel. Could have been, he said. Lots of fun strategies to score points. Sean, Victor, hey, top of the um, whatever time of day this is for you right now, because uh, I don't know when you're listening to this. In case you didn't identify me, this is Sean from Pie Factory Podcast, and I wanted to just uh, talk a tad bit about Mr. Do. You see, I have to say it like that because there's an exclamation point in it. It's not Mr. Do. It's Mr. Do. So Mr. Do is one of my favorite arcade games, and I got to say... I know it's a Dig Dug ripoff. The first time I ever saw it, which was actually in the 90s, I did not hear about it during the golden age of arcade games. I saw it accidentally. Uh, it was um, at a family gathering. Uh, I think it was my grandmother's birthday or something. We were all out at a restaurant, and there was this Mr. Do cocktail table at the restaurant. And my mother, of all people, who hated everything video games and uh, was very kind of, I don't know, reluctantly passive about my video game playing and stuff she's like hey sean come try this i was like what what is this and i looked at it and i was like oh this is basically a dig dug ripoff from what i can tell and i uh i tried out a couple of rounds and um sure enough i played it like dig dug and that's exactly what it was it was a dig dug ripoff but it just occurred to me recently that mr do is to dig dug what crazy auto was to pac-man kind of an enhancement it took a game that was kind of repetitive, the same thing over and over and over, and threw some twists in there. You can actually move the boulders or 
apples or tomatoes, whatever the hell those are. You can move them around. You don't, they don't just stay in one place. There are new challenges in there. There are now cookie monster looking things. I suddenly forgot what they're called. Jeez. But uh, it's no longer just pumping the monster. Now you have a little thing that you shoot and it comes back to you. And there's a lot of skill involved with that. And it's a very creative game. It spawned how many different sequels? Jeez, there was Do Run Run. I'm sorry, Do Run Run. Mr. Do's Castle. Um, Mr. Do's Wild Ride. Dig Dug had Dig Dug 2. And eh, Dig Dug 2 is kind of lame. I like Dig Dug, don't get me wrong, but I like Mr. Do just better. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, guys, for sharing my thoughts. And uh, congratulations, son. Uh, well, um, I guess there should be some kind of congratulations for this episode. Uh, I don't know exactly what for, but uh, congratulations. And um, catch you on the way to the Tinkle Pit. It's uh, When we did that, what did we do? Well, I, I never, We never completed it, but we did try to do five levels of all the games on the 60 and one. Yeah. Mr. Do's on the 60 and one. So it took me two hours to do five levels on Mr. Do. You're joking. No, I'm just no good at it. And I know I've watched people play it and there is a, a, an easy way to group them and squash the guys and get maximum points. Yeah. But it's not one I have the patience to learn all these mechanics. And it's a very deep game actually. And I, I know why people love it. It's not not for me, but I appreciate it. it is a good game, and obviously far better than Dig Dug. <laughs> you make me laugh, Mister Holland. <laughs> Do you know what? A few years ago, uh, I remember playing this on. I had the P. I got a PCB of this actually, and I sold one recently. I've got a PCB of it though, and I was playing it a while back, quite a few years ago now, and. I was trying to get 100,000. Right, I'll get 100,000. I won't ever need to play it again. I never did it. I got 99,000. I never did the 100K. And you can learn patterns on it. And I think if you learn patterns, you can be a really good player. But for me, it's not Dig Dug. And it's a, they're very similar games. Dig Dug came out first, and Mr. D obviously copied some elements of it. And it threw in a few of its own as well, which is, is great. I mean, it's a really good game. But yeah, poor man's Dig Dug. I can say no more. Sorry, Ianski. <laughs> right, Miss Pac-Man is next on the list. Masked Dev has put Miss Pac-Man took the most successful arcade game and made it better. Oh, that's under debate. Yeah, but not from me. <laughs> I I really get bored by the normal Pac-Man games, uh, but the speed-up version of Miz uh, and normal Pac-Man is a lot better. I think it just makes it easier and I can last longer, and it, you've got different strategies. Basically, mm. just run around. Uh, you see Ms. Pac-Man's everywhere in the US. You've fallen over the damn things, and quite rightly so. Uh, lovely cabs, but need a nice pack multi in them to get the most out of them, because the Pac-Man hardware is very versatile, and Ms. Pac-Man, mm. very versatile hardware. And you can get these multi-PCBs for it, and there's some great games on there. Yeah, Ms. Pac-Man, great, great sounds. Uh, similar game, really. Um, unless you're talking to world champions, then it's very different game from Pac-Man. Yes. Very yeah. different when you get that, that decent at it. Next we have, this is a maze game. It's a maze shoot-em-up fantasy game. Yeah, I didn't know. it is, isn't it? Yeah, Gauntlet. Gauntlet has got a lot of votes. Gruntlet, I used to call it. Benson Rad has put in this thing here that I have written down. First game I really played an arcade machine. The crowd and demand at the youth, youth club on school lunch break to be able to get in and put your 10p in and hope to last again. Then... Then had to own it on. Then I had to own it on pretty much all systems I ever had, and I'd been gutted that it never came out on the Amiga. 
only Gauntlet 2 came out on the Amiga, apparently. Oh. Rolly Retro, a four-player action, and really got the chance to see who your friends were. <laughs> As Rolly says, a great four-player game with ace sound visuals. Those Atari games of that time, the sound visuals stepped up quite a bit in the arcade, and I really do enjoy Gauntlet. Uh, it's a true Atari classic. Although a lot of the ideas are half-inch from Atari Android game Dandy. Yeah. Uh, Gauntlet is much classier, I think, though. Uh, I played a lot of Gauntlet 1 and 2 on the NES with my little brother back in the day. Uh, and I waited ages, I remember this, from the Atari 8-bit computer version to come out. And it, when it eventually got, I got it, it, I played it to death. I played it every day. I used to come home at lunchtime from school, because I was only across the road at school. I used to come home, have some lunch... Put the game on to load because it actually took over forty minutes to load on the on the Atari because Atari tape recorders Gosh. had a really low board rate. And I'm not exaggerating. I know a lot of people exaggerate how long, you know, the old cassette games took. It took forty minutes. So I was to turn my TV off, leave the computer on with the play on, get home after uh, after school, and hopefully it loaded and not crashed. But sometimes you just have a, a ready on the screen. I was like, ah, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> so I couldn't play it. I had to wait Gosh. ages. But yeah, that was a really good one. I really wish I had a disc drive back then for that. I used to play, I think it was this on the Commodore 64. Yeah, good version. I don't know if it was another version, uh, something else, but was was the one called Druid? Yeah, Druid was another very similar game, yeah. I'm not sure if it's that or Gauntlet, but me and my brother, I remember playing this for 10 hours one Sunday because we played it all day. And I remember thinking, we've been on this 10 hours. I have a vivid memory of that. We we should go and do something else. Yeah. Because our (laughs) eyes have gone square. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I really, I love the speech in this and, and all the sort of little things. Say a key to open doors. All the yeah. little sort of sayings in it. It's just such an ace game. And the the, the inclusion of death as well, I like him. Death. Just yes. points at you and you die. Rah. We recorded this in the back room at Arcade Club, so please excuse the radios going off in the background. Thank you all. Hi, I'm Mike Singleton, the world record order of Gauntlet. Opinions on Gauntlet, on graphics and sound, what do you think? Yeah, the graphics back then, they were really good. Really, I, I was really impressed with them. I, I, I like the little touches they put in it, like Elf has a little dagger when he's fighting hand to hand. Yeah, know, quite detailed, isn't it? Yeah. Sounds good as well, isn't it? It's one of the first yeah, games to have really speech, good the speech. The speech was just the thing that captured me when I walked in to Campbell's where they had it. Yeah. And yeah, well, I could hear was this speak, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And the music, the, the track mode music, that yeah. really haunting, and I loved it, and that just got me hooked on the game. So, what is it about the gameplay that keeps you coming back to it, like for all these years later? The fact that it's rock hard. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I just love it. It's the whole game down to everything that they put into it, and it, I used to love Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. Right. And, you know, that was the nearest thing you got to it. Yes. And what's your best memory of playing it, Mark? About four of us doing the entire game. Yeah. A thousand levels. That was a level, what <laughs> it is? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that was one big long day on a Saturday. Oh and close to finish. I think we closed about half eleven. Mm. And we managed to get through it. With four Excellent. of us it's easier, but with one, no. <laughs> Take a lot longer than that. All right, thank you very much. Yeah. Right, the winner on this... Obviously. It is Pac-Man, the original Pac-Man, of course. Filmness for life. One word, sums it up. Classic. Sorry in advance to R. John Studley, 
who is a perfect Pac-Man player. He can do the whole game without missing anything, without missing any ghosts, without missing any power pills, without missing any fruit, and not losing a life. And this guy eats power pills for a living. Uh, but mm. I prefer Ms. Pac-Man. Speed up, as we said earlier. I know it's a kid's version, but I'm just a rubbish kid at heart. And I can play <laughs> Ms. Pac-Man for quite a few minutes, whereas Pac-Man is slow. I can't remember the patterns. And, yeah, I just get a bit bored of it. But everything about Pac-Man I like. I like the cabinet. I like the look of the game. I like the sounds. The sounds are brilliant. I like mm. the character. I like all the games that came afterwards. It's just one of those games. It just it was a trailblazer for maze games, wasn't it? There were, there were maze games before this. There was old black and white 70s arcade yeah. maze games. This is just brilliant. Really, really clever game. This is perfect Pac-Man champion John Studley talking about Pac-Man. Pac-Man's got to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, video game of all time. Purely because of the popularity. That popularity wasn't just because it was a great, simplistic game. It brought everyone together, be it male or female. And when you consider in the arcades at the time, a huge majority of the arcade games were were sort of geared towards males. It was probably the first game that was universal um, with its gameplay and the, t- the type of person who would play it. The gameplay was very straightforward. It was a maze with ghosts. Um, Pac-Man was a great character. Probably one of the, if not the first characters in a video game. So I think that resonated with everyone. It was a very addictive. It certainly was for me in the early days. I didn't really catch on to Pac-Man until maybe a year after it came out. It wasn't really a game for me, but it's something I picked up quite quickly. and. That was the appeal of the game. It was very, very addictive. Where it's very basic on the on the surface, it's a very deep game when you you dig underneath the skin of Pac-Man. I think the graphics were probably average for the time, and the sound was very quirky. Where you had the intermissions, um, that was good fun, and the gameplay obviously speaks for itself, and that's why you know it is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, is very iconic. My best memories of Pac-Man will be, for sure, will be 1983 when I got my first split screen. And most definitely in August 2015 when I got the perfect game in Margate, which obviously was years in the making. So they're my greatest memories of Pac-Man. Obviously getting back with with the guys in the arcade and travelling to the States, meeting all the guys and the characters over there. Yeah, great, great memories all around. Yeah, it's so deep, as we've talked about, and John's talked about at length, and I quite, I do quite enjoy it now, actually. I don't want to learn the patterns. I don't want to learn no, how the ghosts move. I just like playing it, and obviously I get trapped in corners or whatever, yeah. but I do like playing it. I still do, yeah. I tell you what I do like is the really up-to-date modern version, like the Pac-Man, is it Deluxe? Or the really huge one, on the, on the, it's got like, a, like an eight-foot display on it, the LED one. Well, Pac-Man, yeah, and the yeah, championship real DX ones or whatever on yeah, the Yeah, the multiplayer yeah. Pac-Mans are a lot of fun. A heck mm. of a lot of fun. I even play Pac-Man 256 on my phone now and again. Oh, yeah, I forgot a about that. game. The next one, a favourite of ours, platform games. Yes. I'll let you are, do this first one. These are just standard platform games, so... That's just I'm just going through the list. Yeah, there's nothing out of the ordinary here. There's no not many bullets or anything. Yeah, it's jumpy jumpy platform games. So here we have one of my top ten of all time that I 
again discovered through the podcast a few years back, Flicky. A little childish-looking kids game that I just thought, I'm not playing that, it just looks rubbish. But once you get into the control of it and the maps and the route through the maps, it's just... It's almost perfect. It's a fantastic game to play, and it's it's it rewards great gameplay with loads of points. If you just scrape through the game, you get no points. You've got to play play it well, and I love it. It's absolutely awesome. And Rob play a missile, as put. Any game that my boys will play over an iPad game is something worthy of a top five. That's what he says, a flicky. Uh, Mike NZ, sublime playability. Love the physics and the best bonus rounds ever. First played and instantly fell in love with my first home computer, the Sega SG3000. Mm. Mark Happy Dude, he said, it's the most fun 10 pence game ever. Fun night at our arcade club. Fine for the top score with Mr. Holly. I remember that night. I I think I beat him with a score of 500,000 just, but now I can get three and a half million on it. Do you know, my personal thoughts, I've got two things to say. The first one is, old flicky, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Flicky. Yay! And the second one, rubbish. <laughs> the podcast put me right off this game. I used to really enjoy it. I was after trying to find a PCB for it. But when I played it competitively and kept playing it, I absolutely ha- I hated it. I can't play it to this day. It's, it's too slidey. The yeah, inertia. It is. I, I cannot play those slidey games very well. I really like all the graphics in Flicky, and I like the fact that they use the Flickies in Sonic the Hedgehog, which was yeah. obviously a massive game, and everyone knew where they'd come from. And I just, it's really colourful. The music's quite fun. The ideas are good. But the fact is, you've got to learn these patterns to do it quickly, and I don't like that in a game. It's very linear to me. Mm. So, yeah, I, I went off it. Yeah, it, it is a memory game. When I play it now, if I've not played it for a long time, I forget the route through some of the maps and have to rely on my reactions to dodge the dodge the characters in it. But it's I just love it. Do you know it's what you just, are? Yes. You're a ZX81. No, you have one K of memory. Yeah, oh, I'm really struggling at work. I think I'm getting worse. I'm just forgetting all sorts of stuff. Yep, you are definitely getting worse. Yes. At anyway. everything. Apart from games, you swine. This is John Munkers from the Arcadia Retrocade in Arkansas and world class, and I mean world class, flicky player. Arkansas. Even I can pronounce Arkansas and I'm a bloody computer. Flicky is an amazing arcade game. It is a game all about pattern recognition and frantic platforming. Every stage in Flicky is exactly the size of the screen. That might sound like a weird thing to point out, but in a scrolling escort platforming game, You need information, and it gives you everything you need to formulate your battle plan at a glance. The cats are very easily manipulated to fit your pattern, but be sure to keep an eye out for the little green choro. Blast them all away with household objects. What attracts me most to Flicky is scoring. Scoring in Flicky is multifaceted. The most important aspects of scoring are speed bonuses, fitting for a character who has made so many cameos in Sonic games, and perfect clear bonuses. The faster Flicky completes the stage, the more points he is awarded. And better yet, if he can collect all POPOs at once when hitting the exit, he is awarded a hefty helping of points. Continue getting perfect clears, and you will be showered in points from various characters, including Pingo and a bare-backed Bimbo appearing in some stages' windows. Oh, and there's Diamonds, which can potentially be manipulated by skillful players, 
but make sure they don't slow you down or get you in trouble. All in all, Flicky is a flawless masterpiece that deserves the number one spot. Maybe I just think that because the music in the game has driven me insane. Yes. Next one. Next one. This Ooh. is a very well-regarded platformer, one that I, I struggle with, to be honest. Burger Time, the time of the burgers. Burgers, your time is now. Burger Time. <laughs> Such good music. I really like Burger Time. I wish I was better at it. Watching <laughs> Charlie Farr play this is amazing. He, It's one of those games, I think like Dig Dug, when you work out a group stuff, you can sort of master the game. And I'm not that good to do that. And Mr. Charlie Farley really is. And it's such a, a great little game. And I played it, and I did a review of it for the Intellivisionaries podcast on the Intellivision. And that's a really good version on that old, that old system. It's really good. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that um, yeah, it just it just plays. I like the little the way that your little character sort of dod- dodders around. He sort of hops around. You're getting chased by eggs and pickles and sausages. What's not to like about that? And then, <laughs> then dropping stuff on them, squashing them in a bun, and eating them afterwards. It's just really good. The, hard, the arcade version, I think, is really quite hard, and I would mm. like to be better at it. But it's a really good little game. So good. The first Commodore 64 game I ever bought was called Mr. Wimpy. Oh, that was the and, ocean version, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of a version of Burger Time. There was a, there was one screen which was like a dodge level, and you, you dodged through the, the eggs and all that. Like, it's just a simple kind of, almost like a frogger kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And then you got your Burger Time level. Excellent. Mm. It is a good game. Have you ever played the follow-up? No, and I didn't even know there was a follow-up until a couple of years ago when we mentioned it on the podcast. I didn't even, even know there was one. Well, there's one on the Intellivision called Diner, which was a sort of mm. official follow-up by Data East, but it didn't come out in the arcade. And there's... What was that arcade game? There was a sort of follow-up to Burger Time in the arcade, wasn't there? Peter Pepper's Ice Cream Factory, is it? Is that it? Yeah, and there's also Super Burger Time. Yes, on the cassette system thing. Uh, I don't think it was. I think it was a later game, like in, oh, in the sort it? of late eighties. Yeah, it was a game from nineteen ninety. You're very welcome, Nincompoops. Ah. It's sort of a more colourful version. It's not as good though. This the original version is great, and the arcade cabinet is beautiful. It's actually got the side of the cab is shaped like the 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 chef you play mm, in the game. Yeah, it's really nice artwork. It's got a little sort of hat on the side. It's an excellent game. It's great. Next on the list. We have another Stone Cold classic. Oh, there's some effing and jeffing I've just seen in here. Oh, dear. Donkey Kong Jr. Donkey Kong Jr., kids. And Alex, uh, Nintendo Arcade, our, our <laughs> mate Alex, has put great forking game and <laughs> a real thinking man's game where you can take your time and plan your next move. Donkey Kong Jr. by Nintendo. The first time I played Donkey Kong Jr. was probably actually on a Game & Watch. The arcade version didn't actually play until I picked up the actual cabinet about seven years ago. I bought it from a collector up in the north of England who actually had a Donkey Kong as well, and he actually offered me the two, but I only had the money for one, and I had to make a decision which one to buy. And knowing that Donkey Kong Jr. was a hard game to get, I bought that over Donkey Kong because I just thought I could get DK later on down the line. I didn't realise what a good game Donkey Kong Jr. was until I got it back home. Well, back to Victor's house, because I didn't have room for it, so Victor had to look after it for me. And it got quite competitive, because uh, you know what Vic's like. (laughs) 
I like the the gameplay um, over DK. I just think it's a lot more finely tuned. I think they've got everything just right. I like the colours. And overall, I just think it's a better game than Donkey Kong. I got Donkey Kong Jr., which was my first arcade game. Must be about eight years ago now. And I got it from a collector called Scott in Leamington Spa. And I was so pleased when I got this cabinet. I couldn't believe it was in the back of my van. I had to keep pinching myself. I just could not believe I owned a Nintendo of America arcade cabinet. Because we didn't get those back in the day. I think I probably only played Junior on a cocktail back in the day. So it was really something special to have uh, an original Nintendo of America Donkey Kong Junior. Donkey Kong Jr. is in my collection with all my other Nintendo arcade games, and it is one of my prized possessions. I'm pretty good at Donkey Kong Jr., um, a lot better than I am at Donkey Kong. I find it a much more relaxing game than Donkey Kong. Um, I can sit there for hours playing Donkey Kong Jr. It's just something that uh, I'll always go back to and something I'll never get rid of. Yeah, it's put beautiful cabinet and creative level design. Love it. I love Donkey Kong Jr. I used to own the arcade cabinet, but sold it just recently. Really nice game. It's Donkey Kong's equally brilliant older brother. Yeah, it is. It is younger fairly brother, good. even because it came afterwards. Yeah, fairly good. I, I, I think it's okay. I'm not, as you know, I'm not well into the Donkey Kong games, but I think it's all right. I like the NES version of it, which is really good. Yeah, it's quite similar. You are very mm. wrong, obviously, because you should yes. be liking Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. Because they're both excellent, sir. <laughs> they're all right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very similar games, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., but also very different. How, work that one out. Yeah, just think if. I know Donkey Kong 3 has got its fans. People do like it, and I can see why now. Yeah, it's I a good game, a good game. It, but just think if they did another platformer, if Donkey Kong Jr. 2 or something, I wonder what that would have been like. Well, the remix versions that have been out not that long would have been a, a really good follow-up, I think. If they were out back in the early 80s, this game would have been even bigger, I reckon, with the remix versions. Mm. Because... the the remix version expands on Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. a lot more than games like Ms. Pac-Man were to Pac-Man. And maybe yeah. St- Super Star Force to Star Force and Time Pilot 84 to Time Pilot. There's the same game, but just different levels and more fun, interesting, clever levels. So, yeah, yeah. I think if this was released back then, I mean, Donkey Kong Jr. remix would have been amazing. The cabinet mm. looks awesome. So the orange cab I've got, or used to have... The artwork's brilliant on it. It's cheeky. It's a great game. I just really love it still. Yeah, it's, it's one of those games yeah. I'll keep going back to. I can appreciate that. The next one is, it is a platform game. It's completely unique. It There's is platforms Joust. in it. Joust. Jousty, jousty, joust. Will's TM. Will TM has put flap, flap, flap. What a great game idea. Excellent cooperative two-player mode, and you can still kill the other player, lol. Bonus points to William for actually developing and releasing the game when everyone else was making space shooters. Yeah, I didn't think of that. It's a bizarre game, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Charlie Farr, who wouldn't want to fly on the back of an ostrich? As zoologically incorrect as that is. <laughs> one of the true gaming originals, crushingly difficult until it clicks. I've seen him play in this. Yeah. One of his one of his four million point runs, Oof. and you can. He says there's two there's two 
kind of strategies. You have to, you have to employ a different strategy as the game gets harder. And one, oh. what he does, he hovers over the area where the the little baddies spawn in. Yeah, I, try, just, I try and do that. And they just fly into him. Yeah, I don't get that far. Because mm. later on in the game, I think there's, there's not as many spawn spots and there's not as many platforms to make it harder. So you can't mm. sort of hang around. And I think when there's only one or two spawn spots, you can stand there and just get them. Yeah. So I can imagine it would get easier when you get to that level. But, I mean, getting to that level is really difficult for me. I can't do it. But you have to press the flat button incredibly quick. Flat, 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 you got to have such good reactions to play this as well. Yeah, it's, just it's left, right, see. and a flat button. That's all you got. It's classic, it's very classic clever. game. I like it. I really like it, but I'm no good at it. I reckon, though, this is one of the easier-to-play Williams games with iconic sounds and visuals all of its own. A side art by the sadly late legendary artist Python Angelo, who did a ton of Williams pinballs as well as Bubbles, Sinistar, Star Ride, all the classics. I slightly prefer Balloon Fight, though. But it's obvious where the Nintendo got that idea from. So obvious. Yes. yes. Okay, this one got loads of votes. It's a massive listener favourite. Bomb Jack. Boom, boom. Yes. Right, loads of comments on this. Flinster. No idea why I keep going back to it. Maybe I like the annoying music and I'm just addicted to collecting things. It was another little cab hidden in the back of the arcade in a dark corner costing 10 pence. I still swear at the dubious collision detection decades later, mind. He is Jimmy, says. Hi folks, I am Jimmy here, an arcade enthusiast from up to north in the United Kingdom of Great Britain. I've been playing video games badly for the last 40 years, and I've been asked to share some thoughts on one of my favourite games of all time, Le Boom du Jack, more commonly known as Bomb Jack. Bomb Jack was released in 1984 by the Japanese company Tekken, and if I'm honest, my first impressions were mediocre at best. Yeah, the graphics were colourful and well animated, the music upbeat, but the gameplay was hardly groundbreaking. Jump around the screen, collect some bombs, avoid the obligatory bad guys, jobs are good'un. And poor old Bomb Jack was only ever released as an upgrade kit. Surely if this game was any cop, it would have had its own attention-grabbing dedicated cabinet, or at least some cabinet side art. So, for its first four years, I didn't pay much attention to Bomb Jack. That was until it was released by Elite on the Atari ST in 1988. Previous home conversions were mostly pretty dire, and you know things are bad when the Spectrum version is better than the Commodore 64. But here is a game you could play at home that looked just like the arcade version, and in 1988 that was a big deal. Roll the clock forward a couple of years and Bomb Jack arrived in our college common room. Yep, we really did have an arcade machine at our college. And that's when I really started to discover and appreciate the nuances of this game. Okay, let's talk about gameplay. Each screen contains 24 bombs positioned around the screen. Your goal is to guide Jack around the screen until he's collected all 24 bombs. Control is via an 8-way stick and the button is used to jump and hover. Most screens include platforms that both help and hinder your progress and all screens include an array of bad guys intent on impeding your progress. So what sets this game apart? Well, I think at this point it's time to refer to Bushnell's Law. All the best games are easy to learn and difficult to master. They should reward the first quarter, <clears throat> 10p, and the hundredth. And it's this unquestioned adherence to this law that really sets Bomb Jack apart. Okay, first thing to note. As soon as you collect your first bomb, a fuse lights up on another bomb. Hmm. Collect the lit bomb and another fuse lights up. 
This is definitely looking like a clue. Repeat this 23 times and you've got yourself a monster bonus. Now it's no longer just about clearing the screen. You've got to think about clearing the screen in a specific order. Second thing to note, those bad dudes come in a variety of guises. Everything from a rather docile mummy to a seemingly erratic and unpredictable orb. To navigate the later screens, you're going to need an intimate understanding of their individual attack patterns so you can anticipate the moves and avoid being cornered. To help address the odds, you can earn a power pill. The quickest way to earn a power pill is to collect 10 lit bombs. Collect unlit bombs though, and you can double the number of bombs required. Keep your eyes on the colored multiplier at the top of the screen to judge how close you are to get the next power pill. Catching a power pill will temporarily freeze the bad dudes and turn them into coins. And this being a video game, we know what must be done with coins. The points you earn for collecting coins rises exponentially with each coin collected, so the advanced player will round up the bad dudes into a small group before catching a power pill to maximise points. The advanced player will also know the colours the power pill cycles through are not random and meaningless. Different colours equate to different points, and the more advanced player will also know how to change the colours. Each time the pill bounces, or each time Jack jumps, will cause the colour to change. The next thing you want for those big scores is the bonus coin. This comes around every 5,000 points, and has the effect of multiplying every point earned on the screen thereafter. You can collect up to 5 bonus coins per screen, and these make a big difference to your score. They do, however, come with a sting in the tail. The more bonus coins you collect, the quicker the bad dudes will move, so on some of the hard levels you may prefer to ignore them and keep the pace less frantic. The attack patterns of the bad dudes changes from game to game, so it's hard to learn a set pattern, so each game feels fresh and new. The difficulty level increases at a steady, consistent rate, and perhaps most importantly, the game feels fair. Yeah, the collision detection isn't perfect, but for the most part when you die, you were left feeling that it was your own fault, and if you did something differently, you could have avoided that death. The risk-reward balance is perfect, but hidden depth keeps you coming back for more. A really good player will score more on the first screen than most novices will score after 10 screens. Maximising your scores is seriously addictive. Give it a play and see for yourself. When that game over screen comes up, are you reaching for the power switch or your next 10p? This is bomb crack. Just say no, kids. New Frontier was the name of the venue where Arcade Club 2.0 was. A bit ah, confusing. Okay. Yeah. It was called New Frontier for a bit before it sort of completely got the name Arcade Club 2. Oh, okay. Arcade Club. Anyway, Lewis Batcave, if you walked into an arcade and you could hear Bomb Jack, you knew you were at home. Roger Cantor. Played it on the Amiga a lot as a kid, but I've re-fallen in love with the arcade game of the past few years, and Roger's getting really good at it now. Is he? Yeah. He's, he might be on a million, even. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's, he's good. Very good at it. Uh, all spot-on comments from our loving, lovely, lovely, lovely listeners. Uh, looks great, sounds great, plays well, and I'm rubbish at it. <laughs> really enjoyed it on the Spectrum, believe it or not, even with its rubbish colours. Such a good overall package of a game. Roger's getting really good at it as well. One of those games you can really rinse if you get the nuances and rhythm of the game. As we showed on Podcast 13... I think I included yeah. a video on the website so people could watch someone play, and he was rinsing the game. He knew where everything was. It's just it's so many bonuses and multipliers. You can get some really, really good scores, or you can just be rubbish at it like me. Your uh, choice. Yeah, I really enjoy it as well. I, I can't really get a lot of points on it, but it's it's got a great feel to it, and it's a like the control on the guy is quite nuanced. You can do quite a lot with just left, right, and the, the flap, the, the jump button, can't you? 
Yeah. Oh, yes. up and down as well. Sorry. Yeah, because I, I never got it for a long, long time in the arcade. If you held, if you pushed up on the joystick while pressing fire, you jumped a lot higher, and you can pump the button to sort of float down slowly. And I think if yeah. you hold down, you just do a little jump. I never got that, and when I sort of learnt that, I got a bit better at it. But yeah, knowing where all, all, all the multipliers do and getting the bombs in order, because when when you hit a bomb, the little fuse of the next bomb you're supposed to get fires. So you can sort of work out where they all are. And if you know where they are without sort of looking, you can do the game quite easily and just avoid the baddies. But yeah, it's not not a game for me. I'm not very good at it. But I love it. I like the look of it. It's an ace game. Mm. But it's another one that is a massive listener favourite. It's obvious it's going to be in there, mate, wasn't it? But it's not for me. I, oh, I, what's wrong I know, with you, sir? I know. I've never really got into it. I think I should have a... Have a have a sustained gaming session on it and try and get to like it. it have a is, do, have a do. Have a do, do, do. It's bubble, bubble. Bubble, bubble, the bubble, the bubble. Danny Frothmeister has put the best two-player co-op game, in my opinion. He could have a point. Still as good today as when it first came out. Uh, six Genesis. My nickname in high school wasn't Bubble Bubble for nothing. Brilliant in so many ways, and truly one of the most iconic games of all time. Michael Wellers put a child of the 1980s did not get into video games as a permanent hobby without enjoying this classic platformer first. Mr. Tagster, it takes a while to master all of the mechanics and secrets of this game, but I picked it up as a kid, and have continued to play it as a favourite of mine. Mm. Mike N Z, one of the best two-player gamers ever perfect for introducing young children to the world of 80s arcade games yeah it's nice and nice and friendly and colorful and yeah, yeah you can do quite a few levels without too much trouble even little people can do that i reckon little people little tiny people uh, nick 73 i think catchy music attracts me to games and i love the plinky plonky tune in this mm. yes the music uh for me so repetitive but still lovely I'm actually humming this while typing these notes. The game is easy to play and you can really get into it. Some of the levels can be a bit of a puzzle to do and there are a massive warehouse full of secrets in this game. Too many to mention even. Watching Muddy Music Ollie breeze through this is a sight to behold. He used to be the world champion at it. Uh, good on all the ported versions I can think of, but the arcade is king. I'd like to have a go on the remixed Lost Levels that someone got work on actual ar- arcade hardware. You may be able to play it on one of the special versions of Mames. Have you ever seen that, Lost Levels? No. A Lost Cave, I think it's called. Lost Levels, Lost Cave. Someone redid the NES version to play lots of different levels from different versions, like the Game Boy version, the arcade version, the NES Bubble Bubble 2, and they just mixed all these levels together. And I think someone actually managed to do it on the arcade version as well. They edited the arcade hardware, sorry, arcade software to run on the hardware, and you can play it on an actual PCB. There's some really odd-looking levels that you've never seen before. Right, that's it's really good. good. Yeah, lost. I think it's Lost Cave. Yeah. Let's have a cheeky Jake Smith on about Bubble Bubble. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> How are you, Sean? You're right. Yeah, fine, thank you. Good, good. Uh, Sean's invited me here today to talk about one of my favourite arcade games. Who are you, by the way? My name is Jake, and I am a regular voice on Maximum Power and Podcast. Ah, oh, that's who he is. That's who I am. So, no. <laughs> Get him out! Uh, 
One of my favourite arcade games is Bubble Bobble. Um, created in 1986 by Fukio Mitsuji for Taito. Uh, it's a deceptively simple game. Platformer, you control one of two dinosaur brothers rescuing their girlfriends over a course of 100 levels, firing bubbles to encapsulate any of the enemies that come after you. When the enemies get caught in bubbles, they float around the screen, and your job is to bop them with the horns on your head. Easier than it sounds. The way Fukio Mitsuji designed the levels was that he wanted a game that was played by couples that was a part of the partners, because there was nothing in the arcades that was like that at the time. It was very much a solo endeavour or a shoot 'em up or whatever it was. So he wanted to bring couples together and give them something to do in the arcade. Hence, there's a lot of levels in Bubble Bubble where you need cooperation to actually complete the level quickly and efficiently. I'm not sure if you can do it as a one player all the way through, you probably can, but to get the correct ending, you need to have two players all the way through and you get the real correct ending. So there's a lot of teamwork and it's great because you can start pointing at the screen and telling your partner, your friend or your mate, jump there, jump there, I'll shoot bubbles, you stand there, jump, 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 pop them, oh you! So yeah, back and forth it goes. And when you learn the levels and you play with someone really good, you don't have to do the point and shouting, it's a really fantastic game to play. The graphics are really sort of, well, 1986 data, aren't they? They're, they're cute, but they're pretty straightforward. There's nothing uh, astounding on them. Some nice, big, cute Japanese-style sprites. The audio has got that mind-numbingly catchy oh, song. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Off you go, and then once it's in your head, it's in your head. And that's it. Uh, sound effects that go with it. Not much else to talk about, really. The gameplay is actually where it shines, though. It's so addictive, it's so easy to pick up, but so difficult to get very, very good at. For example, uh, level 21, if you get to level 21 without losing a life, you get a secret door. The same happens on, I think, level 42, and so on. It's very difficult to get to level 21 without losing a life to get that secret door, let alone onwards and upwards for the others. And there are loads of hidden secret treasures to discover. Uh, and the game has been lost to the eons of history because Tato lost the source code. So every version really? that's come after this has been written by people playing the game and trying to emulate it, or just encapsulating the ROM in a, a wrapper and playing the game that way. There's been a lot of work done on disassembly of the game while it's running, which has revealed lots of secrets in it. For example, if you... Um, there's lots to do with the score, so if you end the level on a, an even score, like 0-0-2-0, you get certain bonuses for popping bubbles or something on the next level. So there's loads of little intricate things that add up to get you really high scores very quickly. When you know all these little things, you kind of run around the screen and people think, what are you doing? But you're popping bubbles or running or doing something that's amassing your score all the way. A really pleasant, really fun game to play. It's definitely one, it is my favourite. It is my favourite game. I own bubblebubble.co.uk. <laughs> yeah, I've had that for about 20 years. I got this arcade, I got a jammer board, uh, sorry, not a jammer, jammer converted bubble bubble back in about 98 with a bass cap. Almost exactly the same as this one that was standing next yes. to me. Yes. Uh, so this is a proper throwback for me. Uh, and yeah, it's, it, it will all, I think it will always be one of my favourite games. Okay, thank you very much, Jake. You're welcome, thank you. Before we find the top platformer, here's Nick73. Bubble bubble. Um, definitely one of my favourite games um, and in my top five for sure first played it I think in 86 when it first came out even though I lived in a small town we had our own arcade um, he did a good job of getting all the latest and greatest games in which for 12 year old me was an absolute dream Bull Bobble I think what drew me to it was the, was the co-op it was me and a friend used to go in the arcade all the time and it was great to be able to play something together it's one of them games that looks really simple on the surface but and for a quick 5-10 minute go you can just blunder your way through it you know you're, you're a dragon that blows bubbles 
catch the baddies in the bubbles and then burst them with the spines on your back or squash them up against something. It sounds really simple, but if you want to get through it, you need to know the sort of ins and outs like most good arcade games. So we played it to death, played it all the time, learnt the patterns of the baddies, learnt where to go at the start of the level, learnt all the tricks like how to get the bigger bonus by popping everything at once, blowing bubbles in the corners when you had spare time to, to get the points up things like that how the items worked and which were the best ones to get and when they get them all that was very unusual for me because i just don't have the patience to learn patterns which is why i'm rubbish at things like donkey kong and, and pac-man but we yeah we put we definitely put the time into this one eventually we did manage to to one cc it pretty regularly as well not every time but we had to do it with the with the warp um the warp at level 50 i think it is makes you jump to 70 so some one of us had to get to level 50 without dying the deal was if one of us died the other one had to keep sacrificing themselves to, to keep the other one from dying to get that warp uh, i always remember 42 and 44 were the two if we could get through them they were the ones that made us nervous if we could get through them we knew we'd do all right both of them had the um the fire breathers i forget what they were called now but yeah the, the fire breathing baddies and they would bunch up 42 i think was the one where they worked the way to the top of the screen and would ha hang around up there blowing fireballs and it was a nightmare to try and take them all out especially if you didn't have any of the, the sweets to blow faster for the bubbles and then 44 they all stayed on the bottom from what i remember and there was a lot of sort of blocks along the bottom so you, that would stop your bubbles going across the screen so it was a bit of a, a close range one but yeah th those two if we could get through them with them chucking fireballs either either direction as well um, we could normally make it to 50. The good, other good thing of not, not dying as well was um, keeping getting the, the secret rooms with all the diamonds and things which rack your points up and getting some more some more lives there's also a bit of blind luck as well at the time we had no idea that that you could sort of manipulate what items you got so things like jumping 35 times i think it is and you'll get umbrellas will start appearing or if you no sorry i think jumping is for jumping for the sweets isn't it if you jump a number of times you get certain sweets if you pop water bubbles you get the umbrellas and everything every single item had a condition that you had to do before it would it would start appearing we didn't know any of that so it was a bit of blind luck the only one we knew was that was the not dying that was the kind of thing i only learned recently and the uh the good old internet we had no idea about the different endings obviously it was always two of us playing together we got the good ending i think it's called never saw the bad ending no chance of me doing it on my own the super bubble bobble we just thought was a new version had no idea about putting the uh, movements in on the on the screen to, to unlock the super version we just thought it was a uh, a newer updated version of the game when when they got that in the arcade the problem was as well as much as i loved it i always was bob the blue dragon so i was always on the right hand side and knew where to go there so when i came to play on my own i was scuppered because obviously the green one bub and you need to to go into different positions to be able to do it and i think it's fair to say it's probably twice as hard trying to do it on your own it's probably stating the obvious so even today now i think i can get into the 40s quite regularly but then i'm absolutely scuppered uh, and i can often make it to level 20 without dying but yeah no, no chance of me completing it on my own i played a lot of the home versions didn't like any of them to be honest um spectrum c64 then even on the amiga they just didn't have that really fine control that the arcade version had you need to be pixel perfect on some of your jumps um and to be able to to blow bubbles to get out of tricky situations or even 
dropping on top of things and timing it right to, to kill them in one go. He, he couldn't seem to do that on the, on the home versions. Didn't like any of the sequels either. Uh, in fact, hated them. The only one I did like was, was Rainbow Islands. Um, loved that one, but that I was playing more on the Amiga there than in the arcade. Uh, our arcade, unfortunately, had packed in by that point. Still play it today. The music and everything is one of them ones I find myself whistling it when, I, when I've stopped playing it. It's funny how sometimes a tune will grab you, where other times it'll irritate the living crap out of you, um, like it did on um, Dr. Micro. I had to turn it off after about two goes on that. Yeah, I think music's definitely a, um, what attracts me to a lot of games. All my favourite games have what I think are, are really good soundtracks to them. I don't actually own any arcade cabs myself, um, which I really need to sort out, I really need to remedy. Um, I'm not that bothered about getting dedicated game cabs, but um, Bubble Bobble is definitely one of the ones I, I would like to have. Right. So the winner, which everyone will probably be expecting this, yeah, in no the surprises. Best, best platform game of all time is Donkey Kong. Donkey, Donkey, Donkey Kong. No alarms and no surprises for Donkey Kong winning this, is there? No. Oh, guess who's been on? Alex. Alex has again. He's got a love-hate relationship, but you can't help coming back for more. So addictive and so much depth once you know the rules. Mm. Daniel Castrogiovanni, perfect genius rock hard. A Whitney from The Broken Token. First arcade game I ever played. Oh, Chris CMP, this is the only game on my list I did not really play back in the day, probably because we had ropey bootleg license versions, but I got into it in recent years, you can see it is almost the perfect arcade game. Fun but challenging, random so always different, lots of depth and just great graphics, sound and playability. I like the graphics, sound, the idea of it, but as we said in the recent podcast 93, it's not a game that I'm going to come back to. It's not. I, I, I did try to like it, and it's all right. That's all I can say. Sure. Yes. Get out. It's not got no bullets, man. Get out, get out, get out. <laughs> hmm. Well, we in the UK, and probably Europe as well, got the terrible Crazy Kong, which is a crappy Kong, more like... done on a Galaxian hardware and usually a dodgy colour, stinking sound and really jinky gameplay. Well, I do remember playing a, ge- a real Donkey Kong in Scotland with my cousins, but it definitely wasn't in a genuine Nintendo cab. We didn't get them in the UK mm. in, the, in the 80s. It was probably a bootleg of the actual Donkey Kong. I know you can get some actual Donkey Kong bootlegs as well. This game has proper legendary status. It's had a docudrama film made about it, about the world-class players. The Kong-off tournaments are in full swing and on their sixth year now. The world record gets broken quite regularly by kill screen players. Stop press. Robbie Lakeman has just beaten it again with 1.23 million points. I'm really enjoying the add-on levels in the form of Donkey Kong Remix and encourage every keen Donkey Kong player to buy this if you like Donkey Kong. It was very obvious this was going to score the highest in the platformers. Yep. Obvious, wasn't it? When you say to someone platforms, Donkey Kong. Simple as that. Yeah, it goes synonymously, synonymously, synonymously. It's a good word, that, won't it? Anyway, right, now we're up to miscellaneous games, which is unique games, multi-games, sports games, anything like that that doesn't fit into the other brilliant categories that I've done, Big. Yes, miscellaneous, I call it. Miscellaneous. And the first in the miscellaneous category... Uh. 
is Tron, the mighty Tron. It's not mighty. It's pathetic. Yeah, I, I'm not so keen on Tron. I'm not pe- so keen on Tron either. But people like it, especially Pie Factory Sean, who says the fun, and, the fun and challenging but not, not impossible mini games make Tron one of the finest arcade games ever. What? Really? <laughs> oh. So Andrew Hannay says Tron. Come on, man, it's Tron. Used to play it in the arcades at Barry Island. Barry Island! Tron adds. Oh, here we go. Tron Nads, Tron ADS is his actual, where his name came from. Yeah. One of the games that I could last on from open till closing at our local arcade, therefore meaning I only had to spend 10 pence and the rest of my money could go on lineups. What's lineups? Is that some kind of sweet? I don't know. I've no idea. But that's typical of him. Tight northerner, 10p all day long. Cheap date. <laughs> Here's that dastardly fiend, Mr. Tronads, Mr. Trollnads, talking about a game he's excellent at, Tron. Ah, uh, Tron. Well, I was a big fan of the movie, which I'd seen quite a lot of times at the local cinema. So when, when we got the game at Fleetwood Pier, I couldn't wait to play it. I remember being in awe to looks of the cabinet when it arrived. Truly one of the best-looking cabs ever made. The pier was always a pretty dark and dingy place, so the, the UV tubes they really made it stand out, and it looked fantastic, and they also had it set really loud, so it got everyone's attention. I was a bit of an amateur computer programmer back there, so I also appreciated the game levels being named after programming languages, starting at a high level to a low level language, and representative of uh, not only the difficulty and the speed of the language, but also the level you're playing on. It was a nice touch. And uh, after the game was in place for a few weeks, there was pretty much just three serious players who were in a high score chase, and we knew this because the game had a battery backup. Uh, there was me and two other guys um, called Kevin Crichton and Paul Smith, and both of whom I've never really seen again since the arcade game days. But uh, they were good players. Each of them were capable of a, of a million in their own right. And although we were competitive, we did kind of work together to devise our own light cycle patterns, uh, which I, I guess we sort of had no choice to do so because we could watch each other play, so there was no keeping things to yourselves. And there was also no internet or YouTube back then, so we had no choice but to figure everything out ourselves. As we got better, we also had to figure out the user level patterns so we could predict which light cycle event was coming up. Uh, as Robert Merksek famously said on King of Kong, if you don't know the next pattern in a light cycles event, you will lose your life, uh, which is basically true. Although, with the patterns I used, you could pretty much wing it until you hit the assembly pattern which is the only one you really needed to know that was coming up, because uh, if you didn't know, you would die, like Robert says. So out of the three players, I found myself leaving them behind and taking an obvious lead, uh, and I cemented this one day in the school holidays when I played the game from opening time till closing time, which was 9 till 9 on the one credit. Uh, from memory, I think I scored about 7 million. It wasn't the first time I'd done a trial bar thing. I'd also done it on Punch-Out, Star Wars and Gyrus. Uh, I liked to make my money last. Didn't have a lot of it back then. I was later to speak to one of the leading players on Twin Galaxies who told me that that score would have probably been the world record at the time, but of course I had no idea about Twin Galaxies and and it certainly wouldn't be a record now as players have managed a lot more than that, probably 18 hours plus. Also, during those marathon games, I discovered a bizarre alarm that goes off when you stay stationary in one of the two safe spots on the recognizer levels. And after about 22 minutes it goes off. It's really loud. You could, you know, I found out 
on a toilet break, I came back to the cab one of my mates was watching it and all of a sudden it went off. And uh, because it was so loud, you pretty much shook, shook the cabinet and the base of the cabinet just made it rattle. And you could hear it all over the arcade. It was quite a shock when it first happened. And you can experience this in MAME by pressing the F10 key and do it a lot quicker than the 22 minutes that you had to leave it in the arcade. And you can let it whiz through and the alarm will go off and you can hear it yourself. One thing I do feel quite guilty about is back in the day one of my mates went to Morecambe. He said he was playing a Tron cab over there that you could do diagonals on the light cycles. Well, I thought I knew everything about the game. I, said, I called it. I just didn't believe him. The Tron joystick was a pretty good one. It pretty clever in that it would allow eight-way on the cone and grid bug levels, but it, it would restrict it to four-way on the light cycles and tanks. So I just thought he was talking I told him as much. But he was adamant, and but I just didn't believe him. So fast forward three decades later to when Arcade Club got their cab and uh, it had a faulty joystick with a worn and dirty grommet and it caused stepping issues which effectively made it go diagonal and made it impossible to play due, due to um, being unpredictable. So my mate was probably not talking about just on a sh** gene and uh, I feel bad for not believing him. But thanks to Arcade Club having the game I found that even after 30 years I was still able to play it to a decent standard and I could, I can uh, still recall all my previous patterns and still use them. And, uh, but what I can't handle quite so well is the rapid firing, which is probably half right as setting in. It'd be nice to have my own cab and think about going for the world record, but would I buy one? Probably not. They go for decent monies nowadays and given the scarcity of the parts, I couldn't take the gamble on, on buying one and not having a perfect joystick that I would need it to have. Also, I'm not really as fond of the game as I used to be. And even though Arcade Club has fixed the joystick, I don't really feel the urge to play in it that often. The only positive thing I can say about all the Tron cabs is they're fantastic. They look lovely, really good. But the game to me is really dull and unimaginative. I hated the film too. It's just an 80s crap film rather than 80s awesome. Uh, you can send all your hate mail to Mr. Uh, Sean Holly at 10 Pence Northern Towers, Blackbird. I also much prefer Discs of Tron. Yes, that's quite the good. Another actually. Tron game, which is actually quite good, especially in the um, in the upright cab, the environmental cab, when yeah, you sit what... down in, or you, you yeah, sort of yeah, sit yeah. against a little thing that's got all the black lights in it and the carpet's all UV. It's really cool. But that's a much better game, I think. One of the most beautiful things ever. It is nice. In, yeah. in the original game, though, I don't. It's just a very simple game. Four little simple games you could probably play on a Vic Twenty back in the day. I'm sure loads of people brought out games inspired by the, the mini-games in that. But it's just not very good. I don't like the, the skinny graphics, those sort of MCR graphics. I never mm. really look like those, actually, to be honest with you. They're not yeah. cartoony enough for me, or yeah, pixelated I think, enough. I think there's only Tapper, where I like the graphics. The other games, I'm not so keen on. Uh, Domino Man looks pretty good. And uh, Timber, not a bad little game. The Tapper's mm. quite good. It's hard, though. I really enjoyed it on the um, Atari 8-bit computers. Yeah, so I can imagine why it's in there, though, because it seems to be one of people's grails for some reason. I think more for the cab than the game, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's not one that I like, but I know loads of people that do like yeah, it. Very repetitive. So mm. the next one is a, code, a Stone Cold Classic, which I love and so do you. This is Q-Bert. Q-Bert. Of course. I was introduced to this listening to you and Alex on the 10 Pence podcast in about... 2014 it must have been yeah it's a long while mm. ago now i thought i'll play that and then i got well into it i had <laughs> i had one of them big old tank sticks what are they called them sticks that you get oh the x arcade that's it i had one of them and i was trying to play it on that horrible things 
Mm, I got rid of it. Anyway, Charlie Farr says, amazingly simple and original concept, tuned to perfection. I'm not one to really bother about cab design much, but this one's an absolute gem. And then it's put effing brilliant, but using all the Cubert swearing symbols. Uh, and Charlie Farr knows about this game because you can get millions on it. Uh, this game is absolutely adorable. Uh, I played a cocktail version of this in Edmonds, Washington, in a little place called Another Castle. It was a, mm-hmm. a video game shop one side. There was a big garage door in the middle. And next to it was an arcade. So when the shop shut at 5 o'clock, they put the shutters down. And you had the arcade open. They had some really cool cabs in there. And it's the only cocktail version I've ever seen. I sort of said to the person at the time, I said, this is a, co- a Cuba cocktail. They sort of went, yeah. I said, do you realise how rare it is? They went, no. Mm-hmm. didn't realise what they got. It's the only one I've ever seen. It's a, a little cocktail cab. It's off to one side. The screen is to one side rather than in the middle. Yes. And it had the knocker in it. So when you, you put your foot on the side, you feel it hit the knocker. Oh, it's brilliant. Um, I'd really like a dedicated Cuba, but they're quite hard to come by in the UK. So I'm going to be converting one of my little ISIS cabs in the future, when I get time to do it, into a dedicated Cuba and Mad Planets. Because you can get the Millstar board, you know, the FPGA board. It's got all those yeah. games on. And the only games I really like on there are Cuba, which is obviously a dedicated panel because you need a, a 45-degree angled four-way joystick for the diagonals. Mm-hmm. And Mad Planets has got um, a stick with a trigger and also uh, a spinner to spin your shit mm-hmm. around. So I'm going to make two panels up and then just flick between the two when I want to fancy. It's going to be awesome. Very nice. Talking about them cocktail tables with a screen off to the side, have you seen recently on Facebook... Henrik, the the Swedish guy we met, yeah, he's got his Tempest up and working the Tempest we cocktail. Saw that. Yeah, I tried to steal yeah. it, but I couldn't. And that's working. Yeah, lovely. Awesome. It looks like that. That is the only one I've ever seen. That there's not many of those about at all. Mm. If you look online, you can't even see many of those. Such a beautiful cab as well in a cocktail version. Really, really nice. I think there's one or two offset screen ones. I can't think of any others at the moment, but they, they do look slightly odd. But still nice. I like them. Yeah, yeah. If you want to listen to us, me and Alex, babbling on about Cuba, go all the way back to podcast 19. And if you can't get that far back with iTunes, I think iTunes limits to 50 podcasts or something. I can't remember now. Right. Um, go on the website and you can find it on there. That was the first one that I did a picture for, podcast 19. Cool. Yeah. I wish ago. you had more time to do more daft pictures rather than just doing the sort of smart, stock uh, ones you do now. The ones you used to yeah. do with us in cartoon form were excellent, but they take a long time, don't they? It, it took loads of time, yeah, and I just sort of ran out of patience with it, really. I think you should do one for Christmas. During our ugly mugs. Ugly mugs. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Next we have kids, next kids, kids, next kids. We have Frogger, the mighty Frogger. Such a good game, still. So mm. simple, so repetitive, so difficult, but still brilliant. It's one of those games, isn't it, you just come back to. Yeah, I've never got past about sixteen and a half thousand. There's a certain level you get to, where the top log is. It only comes by once in a while. You've got to sort of work out when it's going to come by to get the left hand yeah. frog pad. And it's so tricky, very difficult. I've never got past that. But I remember um, Tronad's doing it, and he, mm. he's getting out like forty thousand on it because he can just he just works out. Do it. He said once you get past that, it goes easy again for a while, and then builds its mm. way back up and then goes easy again. So I presume it's just sort. Of, Sort of, um, sort of working out how to do it. Yeah, it's, it's very. It plays it really quickly as well. Like screams across the road. Yeah, like a screaming frog. Have you ever screamed across a road? Vic? I have with a frog. 
Mm. We don't use the F word in this house. It is a toad. <laughs> well, Nick Silver Smurfer says, I first played Frogger at a family wedding way back. Took me a few goes to figure out you didn't dodge the logs, duh. No, you jump on the logs, you silly man. Uh, Daniel Castro Giovanni, it's great, but it also inspired Horace Ghost Skin, which was the first game I remember playing. Mm-hmm. Mike NZ says, simple perfection. Absolutely. Uh, that's another game I really like as well. I'd love to have a little cab of that because the cabs weren't very tall. Just wooden-sided mm. things, really nice sort of overlays on the control panel and the screen. A joy to play. Yeah, it's got a tyre mark down the control panel, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. It goes. Yeah. For, I think the marquee's got one as well, and it goes down the bezel and then onto the control panel, so it looks like it's been run over by a truck. Yeah. Awesome. And the actual side art of the Mr. Frog with his... T- has he got a tie on or something? Yeah, he's, he's sort of doing a leap. He's got a red tie on and a briefcase, and he's obviously That's going it. to work. And my little frogger I got from the Pop Toys has got he's got a little tie on and he's a little briefcase. Oh, brilliant. Very so, nice. so cute. Hello, Tenpence listeners. This is UK Mike from the Retro Gaming Roundup podcast. Here to give you my thoughts on crop rotation in the 14th century. Those out there old enough might get the reference. What can you say about Frogger? Uh, whenever we discuss an arcade game in one of our top tens, we usually talk about the hardware a bit, and in particular the CPU. More often than not, there will be a Zilog Z80, and this thing had not one, but two of them. If you mention arcade games to somebody not particularly familiar with them, they'll know three games right off. Space Invaders, Pac-Man, and Frogger. I think it's definitely one of those big three. Came out in 81 in America and Japan, 82 in the UK, and I remember it coming out when I was a mere 12. Uh, we'd go into town and play most of our arcade games in one of two taxi ranks in the waiting room. Uh, there were a couple that had them, but one tended to keep them in better condition than the other. And I remember walking in there one day after school and seeing that they had a new game in, as they often did. I didn't really keep up with the arcade scene or anything back then. You know, there's no internet to read up about it or anything. But uh, I was more up to date on the home systems like the 2600 and the Commodore 64. But arcade games, I would generally see when I actually saw one in person in, in one of those arcades. And the first time I saw Frogger was indeed that day when I walked in and they'd just got it in. I played it until I had no money left. And the next weekend, when I got my pocket money again, I played it again until I had none left. I loved it then, and I still love it now, 35 years after I first saw it. Uh, It's easy to spot today. You'll see it at every expo worth its salt, and I play it every time. A few times a day, just when I'm walking around the expo, walking through the arcade, every so often I'll go over and have another go. It's one of those minute-to-learn-and-lifetime-to-master games. The gameplay is simple, stupid, and I think it's really addictive. Almost two games in one, I guess, in a way, with the, the split screen, the top and bottom halves. Uh, whenever I fire up the main cab, uh, there are a handful of games that I usually play, and they are usually Amidar, Star Force, Space Invaders, Pac-Man, Pac-Man Jr., Burger Time, and, of course, Frogger. Uh, It's such a simple concept, and a lot of the best games are, even today. I also like the Atari port of it, but probably played the C64 port the most. Most of the ports of it are good, to be fair, particularly, as usual, for an arcade port, the ColecoVision. Uh, They say it's the arcade game with the most ways to die, but they don't actually say who they are. 
Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know it's bloody brilliant. And the learning curve and the difficulty progression are pretty spot on, I think. Most people can have a fairly decent game of Frogger with a bit of practice. So I can't believe anyone out there hasn't played it. If you haven't, then what are you waiting for? Go and play it. And then go and buy CG Adventures on the Atari 2600. Tati bye. Next we have Paperboy. Boo. Do you not like it? I've never liked Paperboy. It's such a I, weird game. I loved it when it came out, and I've not played it a hell of a lot since. It's, it's. I reckon I could get into it though, especially with the proper controls. It's, it's one of those weird ones where you've got to sort of stay on the pavement. You've only got a very thin area to sort of control your bike. And if you go on the road, I always find that I always get run over on the road. And you can't get back on because of the curbs. I've never liked it. I've never really had a good go of it. I think I played it on the eight-bit computers back in the day. But the arcade version I never liked. Didn't like the handlebar business either, because your oh, handlebars are straight as you're looking at the cab, and you're sort of on on the slant on a sort of angle. Yeah. And it's always messed my mind up. I'd have, ugh, never liked it. Don't mess your mind up. Mate. No, no, you don't mess your mind up. Oh no, you need your mind. Not for this Froth- podcast, obviously, but you know. Oh no, no. Danny Frothmeister says not many people play the medium road and hard way levels, which add so much extra to the game, in my opinion, over Easy Street. I never play them. Never. Uh, the last last time I saw him was at a gig in Preston, and he was very drunk. Oh dear! And we and me and James RGP we got all the cabs out. We supplied eleven cabs to this organisation, and Paperboy was one of them. And he was a bit drunk, was our Danny, and he was still owning the game. Wow. So Alex says, great fun to play, love the music, I forgot MAME, you have to play on a dedicated cab, it's the only way. Cheers. I suppose so. Shiny Daz, so many brilliant games left out, but this is one of those games I'd look for in an arcade at Yarmouth in the 80s on my holidays. I kind of wish I'd expanded my mind a little and played different games, but I had to choose to spend my 10 pences wisely, as I only had 50p pocket money each day. Every day, luxury. Yeah, it is... That's what I did a lot. You go to the games that you know you're good at and you're going to get a bit of, bit of value for your money. So Absolutely. I, got, I got quite good at like Volgus and 1942. And you're not stuff that good like at that. Volgus though, are you? I, I'm getting better with Autofire. Autofire! In your face. I still beat you. You did, didn't you? That's one of the victories I'm going to take to my grave with me. I'm going to get really good, though, auto-fire on. Yes, troll ads, auto-fire. Well, you need to play Exit X's on one of ours, because that's very similar to Volgus. It's a great mm. little game. Maybe you should choose it for one soon, Sean. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> Next game is a firm fan favourite with the frivolous frivolity f- fans. That's a lot of Fs. I was trying to go low, two, two Fs there. F two and F. Hypersports. Hypersports. Carlton says it's mindless fun. And Danny Frothmeister again says track and field, but possibly even better. Oof. Hypersports, I remember playing this more on the Spectrum than anywhere else. It's a really good little version on the Spectrum. How did you do it with the keys? Oh, you wobbled stick? Yeah, you used joystick, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, some of the game on Hypersports, you don't really, you don't mash the buttons as much because you've got the stuff like the skeet shooting. And the, the bow and arrow. Yeah. And the vault in one. So you're not really hammering the buttons to make him run, as in track and field. I think you do on the, the swimming at the start. But yeah, we probably used a joystick. It's waggled a joystick. Mm. 
I don't know why, right? When I was a kid, I used to play it a lot on the computers. Why we didn't make our own our own controllers up? Because at school, me and a friend of mine actually made our own joysticks for technology. I think it was for our GCSEs. So we knew mm. how to wire up buttons and sticks back then, and we could have wired up some buttons to left and right joystick port for our, you know, eight bit computers and used proper controls. Why didn't we think of that? Mindless teenagers. That's why. I've told. I think I may have mentioned this before. The the. Activision Decathlon story, have I? I used to play that on the Atari 8-bit, and I laughed so hard once when I was doing the pole vault, because the animation was terrible, and the guy was really stiff when he went over it. I yeah. laughed so much, I broke the chair I was sat on and fell on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to go around my friend's house. The Commodore 64 version of Activision Decathlon was good graphics. Yeah. The, the guy the guy ran like the Impossible Mission guy. Look at this list as I'm running. Mm-hmm. Anyway... We used to stick a quick shot one joystick with its suckers down on the table. Oh, yeah, they'd, they'd rubber suckers on joysticks, didn't they? Which were useless. Yeah. They used to fall off all the time. Well, this was a super sticky table or something. And then get a rolled up newspaper and whack the joystick. Why? That would go and slowly. Made, no, it, and the, the joystick top went digga, 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 digga. And it, it was like maximum <laughs> speed. How did it go? Digga, 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 digga. We looked, we looked in one of the magazines out at the time, and we'd all beaten this this so-called world record. You know? Really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, that's my. So that is Hypersports, and the winner of this too, category, not too many sidesteps away from Hypersports, is Track and Field. Well done, track and field. Yeah, had quite a few uh, more. Almost half as many votes, actually. So, mm. Daryl Smethurst, I have short fingers now and soon to be arthritic because of this game. Poor Daryl. Keith says, the ultimate button-bashing game of all time. And he's surprised they haven't gone extinct through being bashed to bits. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike NZ, uh, still holds up today. Got addicted to it all over again last year on MAME after not playing it for many years. Mm. Roly Retro says, a brilliant idea and so well executed. Spawned a generation of home computer clones. Uh, and TWB, all through the 80s, my brothers and I would often go to arcades, but we were never competitive until it came to track and field. Now, I used to play this. I think I spoke about this before. I'll do it again, since it's the top 50. I used to play this so much. I used to play it every single lunchtime at school. Because in the, the Palace Youth Club, the Royal Manor School on Portland, where I went to school as a kiddie, they had a track and field machine. I don't think it was an original. I think it was just like a... Oh, I think it was in maybe even a cabaret little machine, quite small. Obviously done up to play track and field. And we used to play it, and we used to play four players around it, but only two players playing. One person on one side would do the running, and one person would do the jumping. You yeah. had two people crowded around one set of controls either side of the machine. And we used to play it, all lunchtime because they didn't put it, it. It wasn't the case where you did the whole game and that was it, which is like tournament settings where you you get to the very end. I think it's the high jump, and then you finish, you win on the podium, and that's the game finished. It's just to keep looping round and round and over and over. So you used to play it all lunchtime. You used to get a can of diet coke and a pot noodle, and that was lunchtime sorted. We used <laughs> to play it, all, and they used to kick us out. So you got back to school, go you know turn the machine off sort of thing while we we're still playing. So I don't really like track and field so much anymore. I still like it. I'm not very good at it now. But I played it so much. It's sort of, I, I got over it. But it is mm. a great little game. Same so with good. me, yeah. I have a memory of playing this in Blackpool when it must have been 
it got to be late eighties, so the game was getting on a bit then. And Matt, my brother and I had come out of this nightclub, and we were talking to these girls. And I said, "Come on, let's let's go in the arcade." And he said, "No, but look, with these girls." I said, "Come on, sod them, let's go in the arcade." <laughs> <laughs> I see where your arc- priorities lie, Mister Holly. There was an arcade still open it because the club shut at two in the morning. I think there's an arcade happened. open. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and not unless we came out at one, something like that. Anyway, we went in this arcade, it was completely empty, and there was track and field, and we were trying to play a two-player game, being quite inebriated and yes. not doing very well. But it was great, the feeling of having the whole arcade to yourself, it was great. Were you, were you extra-lubricated? Yes, just was. Yes, drunken yeah. to death. This is Perfect Pac-Man world champion John Studley talking about another game he's excellent at, track and field. After basically six years of classic games, top titles from the likes of Space Invaders all the way through to Pac-Man and beyond. In my opinion, the last of the the great classics that came out was 84, which was Track and Field by Konami. It really did break the mould. You had two run buttons in effect and a a function button so you could either throw or jump. And It was a, a multiplayer game as well, so you had one player against the computer or you had up to four players. It was a great game. It was a, obviously it was a great laugh. I'm sure there's everyone who's played track and field can always remember all well, their memories of having fun and button bashing, as it was called. And it was very, very addictive as well because you had so many different events and you were able to set world records at different events. So you could either go from the the sprint all the way through to the high jump, and you had the hammer and several different events in between. But it was, what for me, it was a, a very, very big classic game. Great memories. Um, I used to play it after I played Pac-Man. It was one of them games that I sort of played with friends and it became more of a, a personal challenge then to beat the likes of the sprint times and trying to work out how to, to get faster times. And we realised that you couldn't actually press two buttons at the same time. So button bashing in effect, one Button if it's pressed at the same time as the other one cancels the other one out. So I just started using one button. So the idea was just to use a few fingers. So it started off just two fingers, then it was four. Then I mastered a, a technique, a six finger technique. So the fastest time I had on the 100 meters currently is 7.64, which is a tenth of a second off the, the actual recognized world record for the 100 meters. So it's a game I'd like to get back into and maybe have a crack at the, the one round, which means that you'd have to play hundreds and hundreds of games and record every single one of them. But yeah, great memories from track and field. So that is that one. Right, we've got one more. We've got a few more categories, actually. So this one here, this is a one-on-one fighter. And it's only one in there, actually. Uh, and we call this the only one game of this type made in the top 50, but what a game. And this is... Street Fighter 2, in all its car- incarnations. We're not talking yeah. Street Fighter 3 or 4, we're talking Street Fighter 2. Talking uh, Championship Edition, uh, World Warrior, Alphas, uh, Zeros. No, this is just Street Fighter 2. Just Street Fighter 2. Yeah, it's not the Alphas and the Third Strikes, it's just all the like Championship Edition oh, turb- so, Yeah, the, turbo. the sort of official original one that everyone goes on about still. Mm. Hyper, all that lot. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Lewis Batcave says, I remember some dude called Alex teaching me how to do a dragon punch, and I wanted to teach some other dude the same move. It's a game where you strive to better yourself. 
The game defines the arcade for me. I'm definitely of the latter arcade generation, and I can't help but feel a little responsibility for the death of my local arcade, as I ran out to buy Street Fighter on my SNES and invited my mates around to play it, instead of us all meeting up in the town to play Street Fighter on a proper cabinet. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Roger Cantor says, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition was my first arcade machine that I had in my bedroom back in 1994 when I was 17. Ooh. Who is a youngster? Early adopter. Uh, and Scott Hattle, BMF, built a, m- a main bar top cab with this as a theme, as I'd seen someone before me do it, and many more after me do it as well. Still a super Capcom title I fondly remember dumping a part-time jobs paycheck into. Spent all his money from his part-time job on it. Ooh, and Benson Rad says, when the fair came to town, it was the first time I'd seen them have more popular have more than one of the same machine. I think they had three or four Street Fighter 2s because it was just so popular. And then when the Turbo Edition came to the snares, it was happy days for me and my mates. Tell them the fair is coming to town. <laughs> That's League of Gentlemen, isn't it? It's very scary. New one's coming mm. on Christmas time. Oh, you're scary. This is Andy Godoy and Jonathan Keane, formerly from RGDS, now from Get To The Chopper podcast. We're here to record a little snippet on Street Fighter 2 for the guys from Tenpence Arcade. So thank you very much, Vic and Sean, for allowing us to do uh, this. And So go on, John. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why Street Fighter 2 is so awesome? Got nothing but good memories about this game. Um, I think it was the one game I remember, not just me. I mean, I went to the arcades all the time when I was a kid. Uh, any, any excuse. I remember... Every kid in my school being obsessed with Street Fighter 2. Everyone, no matter who you were, just queuing around the block to have a game of Street Fighter 2 in a chip shop. And uh, yeah, it's one of those games where everyone wanted to learn all the combos and buttons. Who is your best fighter? You know, and then I was hooked completely. Spent all my pocket money playing this game for years. Definitely one of the, one of the all-time greats. The reason why I love this game, John, so much, I think it revitalised the arcades. The arcades were slowly sort of starting to decline, and I noticed that because I used to go to arcades quite a lot. And then all of a sudden, I'd heard about this amazing new game. It was a follow-up to Street Fighter, and it was meant to be just superb. And I ended up sort of like reaching, well, looking over someone's shoulder, and I ended up sort of seeing the graphics, and I couldn't believe how amazing the graphics were. And what this did different to many other games at the time, it wasn't just like one controllable character. You could pick out of eight characters, and each of these eight characters had different abilities. And although like you had games like Yeo Kung Fu, where you would fight against all these different sorts of martial artists this it gave you the opportunity to play sort of like different roles and it was just amazing understanding the combos you know the techniques and how to defend you had you know strong medium and weak punches and kicks the amount of gameplay and the music in this game john is phenomenal i love the music it's just absolutely amazing especially giles giles music goes at everything everyone knows that it really Everyone does. It. And I don't know what else to say about this game, but I think it's probably my favourite arcade game ever. I, I, I prefer the original Street Fighter 2 more than Championship Edition because it's a little bit more pure. It was that sort of thing about discovering who the bosses were. I, I, I love this game, John. For me, it's a perfect 5 out of 5 game. Mm. What's your view on it? Same as you, mate. Um, to me personally, I think Street Fighter Championship Edition... Without the new characters, I can't, is it Turbo? 
Not the um, not the ones with DJ and oh, so, uh, yeah, that was Championship D- Edition, yeah, yeah, Championship Edition, which was Street Fighter Two original with the bosses and slightly sped up. I think that uh, the game of the early to mid nineties for me, uh, mm. growing up, just putting so much money into those games nonstop. I think everyone played Street Fighter Two back then. If you're an if you're in the arcade, I don't care who you were. Yeah, and with that then, guys, thanks very much for letting us come on to the show and talk about Street Fighter 2. And uh, thanks for listening, guys, and please enjoy the rest of the 10 Pence Arcade podcast. See you later, guys. Take care. Okay, kids, this is the last category of... The last one. Of the year, ever. Of the world. And it is racing games. These are games that involve some kind of racing and gaming Yes, racing and, and they're not really for me. I'm not a I big like racing them. game. No, I'm never a racing game. I wouldn't put money into a racing game when I was a kid. Ever. Really? Nope, never. Never did I it. Got, I was never I really got, into cars as a kid. I didn't, I didn't start to. I didn't learn to drive until I was 27. Right. So I've never really been that into cars. They've just been a thing for me. I've never really had posters of cars on my walls. I've never watched. I used to watch the Formula One racing quite a few years ago, but it was a great way to get me to sleep on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> it was. I used to really enjoy stuff. Little sort of a little pie and a pot noodle and drink and that, and you start, start watching it because the start's always really good, and then sort of halfway through, it's great sleep. Lovely. I don't think that's the effect they want. Formula One. No, it was that exciting, but it, it did get exciting at certain parts. But yeah, it's just mm. round and round a track, really, isn't it? So, what's the first one we got for our racing games? Daytona. Game Daytona, over, yeah. Daytona, USA. Nick Silver Smurf says, this together with lo- played this together with a load of mates around beer o'clock in Land and Tune, ready to set the night up for games of Killer Pool. Ooh. And Mass Dev has said, Daytona, the benchmark for every driver since. I think it looks cool, sounds cool. I don't think it handles that well. I never have done. I quite like this. I like Daytona 2, I think, on the Dreamcast. It's quite a good mm-hmm. game. It's just it's one of those games. My kind of racing games I do actually play now and again are put your foot down, steer around a track, mm. don't mess around with gears, hardly ever use a brake, and just bash into stuff and just get your way through. That's like I like in a racing game. I like slidey ones. The anything drifty or rally type. I've I've played loads of Colin McRae rallies on various systems. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, not really. Sega Rally's not too bad a game, I suppose. Oh yeah, similar I love kind that. of thing to that. The next, next one we got is Outrun 2. This is the posh updated version on the sort of fancier cabs, isn't it? Yeah, this is excellent. I love this game. Mark H is put, yes, I know it's newish. It's 2004, so yeah. uh, newish, but what a beautiful game. I love to drift again and again. And Keith says, best arcade sequel ever made. Everything is so fresh and revamped. This is one of the sim- one of the very few games that is as good and some people think better than the original version. I've I have still got the PS2 version, even though I haven't got a PS2 anymore. Outrun 2006 Coast to Coast is called, and it adds extra modes in the game. Yeah, you've said about uh, it before, I think. Yeah, it's just a fantastic version of it. Really, really good. Anyway, Roger Cantor's put, I love the first and remember playing it on holiday in Swanage as a kid when it was released, but the sequel is now a much better game, is put. Oh, he reckons. I tell you mm. what, when you come to my house next, well, a little while ago now, uh, modded a PS2 to have a hard drive in it. I'll put Outrun 2 on it for you. Nice. 
So you can play it. I won't play it. Can you play I, it with the, with the joypads okay? Or do you need a wheel? No, yeah, joypads fine. I, okay. I have, well, when I used to have a Windows PC and I got Linux, I had a PS2 emulator which would play Outrun 2. Yeah. But my laptop wasn't fast enough to play it at full speed, so it played Aww. about 75% speed. It was really nice. It's nice and relaxing, you know. <laughs> just, just driving Miss Davy on the track. Yeah. <laughs> right then, this is the big one. Yes. This is this category and overall winner of all 50 games. Yes. And it's not surprising. Do you, can you guess what it is, Mr. Sean? I can. It's written here, Yes. But we, I think we guessed it before we even started, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, it's it was either, obvious. either this or Donkey Kong or something, yeah. Yeah, but this is the mighty Outrun. Outrun wins the top game ever. Yes. So, the first person to talk about it, Tagster. I choose Outrun for many reasons. I have many memories of playing Outrun throughout my life, and many aspects of the game tick my boxes. I love the Ferrari Testarossa, blue skies and palm trees. I didn't see much of that coming from the Midlands, though. The game lets you experience faraway places, and the music also complements this. The deluxe cabinet helped me get hooked on this game because it's the first machine that made me feel like I was actually driving. Ah, uh, yeah. We, it's like playing a sunny summer's day, this game. I, yeah. So you, you, you think that when it was teeming with rain outside an arcade in Bogner, would you? Yes. <laughs> You just, you, You've got a very good imagination, Mr. Holly. I've never been very good at it, but it's it's always one I just have a quick go on, even now, and think, oh, it's lovely this, playing this. Oh, I'm not a fan. The music, the I can understand graphics. why people are, and mm. it's pretty obvious people are going to do this, but I'm not like other people. <laughs> <laughs> Take that any way you like. I'm not like other people. I'm me. not like other people, me. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine why, especially if you were a little kid. And you climb in that great big red car and sit in it and put your money in. You can hardly reach the pedals. And then it starts moving around when you're playing. And all those those texture-based graphics with all the scaling as well, that would have blown your mind back in 1986, wouldn't it? God, yeah. I was only 13, so I probably loved it back then as well. But, you know, I wasn't very good at it. I was actually 86 in 1986. Yeah, because you, yeah. you were born in 1900. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris... Chris Mooncrest the bootleg has put what's not to like as a young child you get to drive a Ferrari and you can choose your route yeah he's got the routes as well you've got yep. the sun you've got the beautiful woman sat next to you who gives you a load of grief when you crash it at 150 miles and it flips her out of it she points a finger at you do you think you should do a bit more than that if you flew out of a car at 150 miles an hour just like driving down Fishmore Drive in Blackburn dodging the shopping trolleys and speed trump bumps yeah, speed trumps <laughs> lovely it is they orange Chris CNP says the best graphics and music going in 1986 awesome playability variation in play via the different routes fun to be had if you just had a couple of stages in and a great challenge to finish any of the routes I don't think I ever mm. finished any of the routes I'm not very good at it I, I finished Turbo Outrun but not this one oh. Dave Flinster utterly blew my mind when I first saw it in DLX format back in 1986, Deluxe. Possibly the first game I saw that puked colourful chunks of pixelage directly into my face. In your face, Dave. Rather than just scrolling uh, scrolling around sideways. And then I went up a hill and the cabaret tilted, cabinet tilted, sorry, and the music and the multiple routes and the waves crashing. Yeah, when you put your name in, I forgot that. Really chilled out tune. Ding, 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 ding. And it gives you loads of points as well. It gives you like millions of points. Telephone number scores, aren't they? 
Yeah. Nick Silver Smurfer. I can't play this with anything other than the magical sound shower. Also, the way the roads rose and fell really moved. Felt like this was the next level. This was the seaside driver of choice. Yeah, yeah. And finally, Nick73 has put, I've played nothing else. Even when it disappeared, we tracked it to the other side of Blackpool to to a truck stop to keep playing it. Seemed a really shady place, a truck stop at the time, with rumours of it being the town's red light district. Red car district, especially. Oh, I like that. Oof. And here's a listener from the US talking about OutRun. My name is Adam Godfrey. I was born in 1981 in Northeast Ohio in the United States. Growing up, it was pretty common to have your birthday at Chuck E. Cheese, which is pretty famous uh, in the arcade community because it was found in, in part by Nolan Bushnell. Because of that, there was a plethora of video games there. And of course, if you didn't have your birthday party there, everybody wanted to have their birthday party at McDonald's, which might seem strange, but in the United States, there are a lot of McDonald's that have some very large playgrounds and uh, are quite fun to have birthday parties in, at least in the 80s. Despite having all those resources there, probably my most vivid video game arcade memory comes from a campground that my family frequented called Mohican in central Ohio. And probably the two games that I remember the most were Ms. Pac-Man and Sega's Outrun, in addition to Adam's Family and Terminator 2, the pinball machines. You know, my sister was probably more into the classic games, the Galaga, Centipede, and of course Ms. Pac-Man than I was. I wanted to uh, play Outrun because as a seven or eight year old or, you know, five year old, I thought it was a lot of fun to drive a car. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's strange because for as much as I love arcade games now, you know, I, I, I think I, I stuck to a very limited amount uh, when I was a kid and played a lot of console games, but we all know that the, uh, the arcade games are far superior. I still have some pretty clear memories of that arcade, the jukebox playing some pretty classic eighties tunes and uh, everybody dressed in their, uh, their finest acid wash jeans. And I also have some pretty fond memories of borrowing as many quarters as I could find in our motorhome while we were camping there. I was given a daily allowance that I could spend on candy or arcade games or whatever. And of course, I would quickly spend those and then have to commandeer the quarters so I could play some more games. Yeah, so that's about it then. It wasn't surprising that OutRun was going to be one of these things. Outrun Deluxe is another one of a lot of people's grail cabinets they get hold of, especially a working mm. one that moves around and stuff. Yeah. So it's not last, surprising, is it? Last time I went to James' Retro Games Party's lockup, because he repairs these machines for people, right? So, so you get a lot of the same machines, you know, Robotrons and Defenders that he's repairing and, yeah. and restoring. There were four stand-up Outruns that he was working on. Wow. Yeah, so people love them. I think the boards are quite complicated to work on as well because they've got a lot of special chips and, and you know scaling chips and uh, sort of custom ICs and stuff. So I think they're quite difficult to repair. And I'm very surprised, it being such a popular game all over the world, that people haven't done an FPGA of it. And I was talking to someone a little while ago, I think it was at Chris's, Chris CMP's meet a few months ago, and he was, and he was saying the reason it's not an FPGA is because they have all these custom chips that are quite right. difficult to replicate, I think. So something needs to be done, though, because these there's quite, quite hard to... The double-layer, quite big boards as well, quite power-hungry, and there's a ton of chips on them. Mm. Not surprising, because the technology back at the time was cutting edge, and it would have been quite complicated. So, yeah, it's difficult to work on, I think. From my local chip, you get a ton of chips. If you order normal chips, you get a ton of chips. 
Yeah. The ICs, though, are they custom chips? Well, they're custom to Weird that shapes. shop. Not, custom... not spiral ones, are they? I like spiral chips. Custom, mm. custom vinegar. Mm. Oh, anyway, at the time of recording this, kids, every single one of these top 50 that we've mentioned is on the floor somewhere at our lovely arcade club. Everyone. Ooh, so if you want to play one of these, get yourself down to arcade club. I was going to say Daytona's not there, but it is actually there. So everyone is there. Nice. And we have got, at the end of this, we've got some games that are just missing out. So these are sort of like almost ran games. Just under the top, yeah, out of the top 50, these lot. So we've got Chase HQ. Mm. Dragon's Lair. Uh, Ghouls and Ghosts. Pole Position. That's a good racing game. Sega Rally. Banku Paniku. Oh, why wasn't that on there? Battlezone, classic game. Why wasn't that on there? It's about coming about number 60, that, I think. Bosconian. That's another favourite of mine. Another one that I'm really, really miffed, and I voted for this, didn't get in there. Dig Dug. Why yeah. didn't Dig Dug get in there? Yeah. Elevator Action, which I've not played a lot. I need to check that out more. I really like it. I think we should do that as a one of our games one day. Yay! Maybe I'll pick that for the new year. Good idea. Hmm. Uh, food fight. Mm. Operation Wolf. There's no gun. None of these types of gun games made it at all. Not point blank. Nothing. Good. So this this is the one that got the most votes out of those type of games. Good. I hate gun games. Never liked them. Apart from du- Duck Hunt on the NES. Can't play them now because me oncoming arthritis. <laughs> yeah, never liked them. Uh, Raiden. Raiden. Favorite of mine. Got that in a cab. Mm. Robocop. Robot policeman. Hmm. I am a robot policeman. Don't do naughty things or I'll shoot you in the head. Oh, my God. That's exactly how he sounds on the the film. Mm. Uh, Oh, God. The Simpsons. Yeah. Sort of like a a weird cousin, a yellow cousin to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Spy Hunter. Hunting Spies. That's a terrible game. I like the Commodore 64 version better. I like the Atari 8-bit version better because you can play it with two joysticks. Mm. You can actually play it without dying every two seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Sprint, another little fun racing game, uh, static screen racing game. Yeah, overhead racing, and no, none of them made it in actually. Mm. Or oh, Time Crisis. This, this is the other gun game that got a load of votes. Time Crisis One. Not surprising. It is popular, but I hate it. Uh, <laughs> Warlords, which is a great little game on a cocktail cabinet. Mm. I have seen a two-player version, upright version. It's a beautiful game. Very, very yeah. rare though. Very rare to find. You nearly always see them as a, as a cocktail version with four players. Nice. Uh, and some of our own favourites didn't make the cut. Oh, there's tons, isn't there? We, we like so many games. Yeah. But what, what are yours you think are criminally missed out? There's two. I can understand why they didn't get in, but I love Rygar. I yeah. love Berserk. I thought Berserk may have made that it. That is an odd one. Why didn't Berserk mm. make it? Because everyone knows and loves Berserk. Such a simple game. It was yeah, iconic. It was hov- hovering outside the top 50 somewhere not too far and there's no bullet hells which i did really expect because they're not that well they are like they are likes but these games that we're talking about are loved aren't they the games are sort of a lot of the games we're talking about are sort of mid 80s and early 80s games aren't they mm. whereas the, the shoot em ups sort of came well, the cave games especially like the the, the bullet hells are sort of more late 80s early 90s yeah, if we ran this poll in Japan, say, oh, after God, the yeah. bullet hells. Yeah, yeah the, the one that actually got the most votes, the m- bullet hell, was Ketsui. Oh, really? Yeah, Caves Ketsui. That's got a the really, most... really hard one, isn't it? 
it's not that hard. It, it, all really? cave games are hard, but it's not not well, super. No, some of them, some of them aren't that difficult. I mean, Gawanga doesn't seem that difficult. I've played it quite a bit, and and Death Smiles isn't too difficult. Yeah, Death Smiles is alright. Ketsui's hard as heck. The mm. ones I'm I'm a bit miffed about that didn't get in is Dig Dug, obviously. Yes. Dig Dug is iconic. Everyone knows the little pumping guy, the little guys you you pump up the pukas and the fire guys, and it's yeah, it's quite surprising. Whenever I play at, at arcade club, you know, and talking to someone, they sort of say, "Oh, can you show us how to play this and show us some secrets?" And you know, it's sort of a well-known game, uh, Bosconian, which is a criminally underrated game next to Galaga, because it was done yeah. on the same kind of hardware. And Bosconian is a great game; it's really, really good. Really like that one. Uh, Raiden, as we mentioned earlier in the in the top ones, Raiden Raiden Two. Some of the that's probably about the limit of bullet hells I like. Anything sort of beyond that, further than that, I'm not too keen on. But Raiden mm-hmm. 1 and 2, I've got the PCBs, absolutely brilliant games. Raiden 3 is not bad either, and even 4. Very, very wow. similar games, but obviously just a modern touch to them, the graphics and sound. I've been playing Raiden DX on my little PC setup. That is a proper bullet hell. It's a crazy sort of rush mode. Yeah, it? it's not. They're not exactly bullet hells, but there is a lot of bullets. I think bullet hells didn't really come into existence until sort of. That's more the pattern games, isn't it? Where we get yeah. a pattern of beautiful bullet patterns coming around and mm-hmm. sort of hundreds and thousands on the screen at once. Another game I'm criminally missed out is Turtles, the original Turtles. Which Turtles! I, Turtles! I really love it. It's such a silly little maze game. It's probably my favourite maze game, I must say. That mm-hmm. and Dig Dug. I think you can call Dig Dug a maze game. It's my favourite maze game. I love Turtles. It's so cute and silly and simple. Really love it. Ladybug, another maze mm-hmm. game that missed out. Um, mm-hmm. Where you move your own maze around, which is quite a yeah. good little game. Uh, and, and Berserk. I, I even put in brackets, really... Berserk mm. wasn't in the top 50. You have to be joking me. Right, hang on a minute. Hang I'll on. T- I'll tell you where it got to. Top 50 votes. 72. Berserk was voted in at number 72. Really? As low yeah. as that? I can't believe yeah. it. Because, I mean, that game is such a it's such an iconic game as well, isn't it? With the speech, it's very simple. And it's quite it's quite a sort of sinister-looking game, isn't it? If we asked for maybe if we asked for a top ten, maybe Berserk could be in people's top tens, but not the top five. Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't yeah. know. Anyway, kids, that is it, and that is it for this year for us. We're going to have a month off to eat turkey and get fatter, and then come back in January stronger and faster and meaner. Well, not meaner, but you know, fatter. Definitely fatter. <laughs> fatter. <laughs> so. We will talk to you in the new year, and we will be talking about two games, remember? Yes, we're going to have two games to play over Christmas, because we're off for a month. Yep. And we're going to put the details on our website and Twitter. So we're going to have two games to play. After two weeks, we'll finish the first game, and I'll put like a leaderboard up. And then we can do the second game. So Excellente. So thanks for listening to this special Top 50, and you'll hear us again in the new year. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Yes, happy Christmas. Goodbye.